Well, great good evening to you. Welcome along to Genesis Christian Radio. My name's Amos, and I'm with you for the next ooh, 45 minutes, 45 seconds even, before I hand over to my good friend, Pastor Samson Jupiter. Sorry, I'm a little bit nervous. It's very hot in here tonight. We just had some tea, and we're running around trying to get things done at the very last minute. But Samson's going to lead us in the Word tonight, and we've just been discussing some of the issues and some of the things we'll be chatting about. And we're going to go through the book of Genesis to start off with, which might take us a few weeks, starting off in chapter one. And the name of the program is going to be called Synopsis. And I'll ask Samson in a moment or two why we've decided on the name Synopsis. And I say why in the same way as we say we in the royal we. Actually, it's Samson and the Lord come up with this name, so who am I to argue? But the bottom line is, this is taking the word of God to a level where you can interact. So after Samson has delivered the message, we'll open up the phone lines, the emails, and the text where you can actually then discuss what we've talked about tonight to give you an opportunity to expand on it, to clarify, even to dispute if you think you've got a, a sound biblical argument that might counter or counter what we're going to say. So we do encourage you to listen in. We do encourage you to Dig into your Bibles, get your Bible out as well, have a look at what we're actually saying tonight and to enjoy God's word in all its glory and all its blessing. The programme will continue into 2016, but the actual evening which it will be broadcast will be the last Thursday of every month. Genesis Christian Radio on the eve of New Year's Eve 2015 with Pastor Samson Djibouti from Moments of Truth Ministries. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening. I'm... Praying that we have a great program tonight because you and I have got a history that every time the devil knows that you're here, he does something to the works. I know. I and know. already the internet has crashed with the email system. So okay. I'm going to endeavor with the Lord's help yes. to rectify that. But okay. I'm going to leave you to preach tonight okay. on Matthew yes. chapter 1. Now we're going to go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in, I suppose, what could be classed as an old-fashioned method of exegesis. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with old-fashioned people. You and I are pretty traditional in many ways. Yes, yes. And that's a blessing, I think, in many other ways as well. Uh, yes, it is indeed. But what I would just like to do is just to clarify one or two things before we start tonight. When you and I spoke recently about this whole concept of this teaching program and the interaction with the listener afterwards to be able to ask questions, etc., you come up with the name Synopsis. So why Synopsis? Uh, synopsis because I think um, one of the things that is lacking in the church today is people having a robust understanding of the entire program of God. Right. And what I mean by saying that is uh, people are giving little phrases here and there from a verse, from a chapter, from a book, and they don't really have an understanding of the narrative of Scripture as well as the, the reason, the basis, the main message. For instance, if you pick up any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, mm -hmm. people just tend to think, well, it's God's you know, saying the same thing four times. Well, that isn't really true. The, both, the four of those books, for instance, have different emphases. Uh, there's something specific and unique to each book that God wants to bring across to the reader, without which 
one will not have a rounded understanding of the program of the person of Christ. And you can apply that to any other book in the Bible, talking about Genesis all through to Revelation. So the reason why I use the word synopsis is that, okay, let's see if we can get the listeners to go step by step with us together Good, yeah. and look at the Bible, see the message for each book, the emphasis of each book, and how that fits into the overall message of God. Right, thank you for that. You know, it, it, it's wonderful sometimes because we do, in Christian circles, have all sorts of theological terms for all sorts of issues, yes. and we we use them sometimes without even realizing what they mean. Mm. Sometimes we use them out of context, yes. trying to impress people or or whatever, and we're all guilty of that. Yes. But it's very important to understand not just what we're saying but why we're saying it and what it means. And that's the beauty, I think, of yes. the Lord's Word. He was very clear, yes. albeit with all the different translations and alliterations we have in recent Bible versions, he was very clear on what he said and what he didn't say. Yes. And sometimes he left it for the likes of Pilate and so on to actually say things. Yes. And that spoke louder than the Lord actually declaring himself, didn't it? You know, So Matthew chapter 1, working through Matthew, Yes. Matthew was a Levite. Yes. Which, is that important? That's a tax collector. Yeah. He was a tax collector. It is important because now, now we see how God starts by showing us the, the entire program. He was the Levite, the yeah. tax collector, in the sense that this is somebody whose background wouldn't naturally fit into you know the mindset of who a Jew would want to listen yes. to. Yeah. Why a tax collector? These are people that the average Jew in those days, you know, didn't want to associate with. Why? Because these were the people that were getting the money from you know on behalf of the Roman Empire as at that time, and um, they saw them as traitors. Now, for God to open this thing that we call the New Testament, and the, for the first writer to be Matthew, who formerly was a tax collector, that in itself is a message yeah. that God can redeem, God can change, God can transform the life of an individual. No matter where we are coming from, how dirty we were, how unholy we were, how we were walking in our own ways, carnality and in the flesh. Once we get saved and we're being, we have been changed through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the grace of God, we are already grafted into the family of God. Mm. So what does God do? He starts by giving us the book of Matthew, you see, and that in itself can be a stumbling block to the average yes. Jew who says, well, who is this Matthew, a tax collector? I don't want to read his book. But God is saying here, I am God, and I am sovereign. I can use anyone. And my standard is that once that soul has been saved, has been cleansed, has been purified, and the past has been dealt with, thereafter, I can use him for my glory. And I believe that's why God chose you know, the Levite and Matthew to start with the New Testament. Fantastic. I'll leave it over to you to take us through Matthew chapter 1. Thank We've got much. as long as you need. Oh, thank you very much indeed.
Well, before I go into Matthew, I just want to once again give uh, the listeners um, a summary of the Gospels. We have what we call the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we have John, which is also one of the Gospels, but doesn't fit into the Synoptic Gospels because the writings of John and the details of John and the emphasis of John is so different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, about 90 to 95% of what you have in the book of John, you wouldn't find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So when we talk about the Synoptic Gospels, we are talking about the ones that are identical, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in including uh, when we include that of John, then it becomes the Gospels. So for the Gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For the Synoptic Gospels, we are limited to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, I think the first question we need to ask ourselves first, before we go into Matthew, and we're going to be taking it chapter by chapter. Now, this is so important, and I will come back to the reason why we have to do this. But the reason why God gives us these four Gospels it's because he wants to show us and highlight different aspects of the personality of Jesus Christ, of the person of Christ, the person of the Messiah. And there's some things that Matthew underscores that Mark doesn't. There's some things that are emphasized in Luke that you will not necessarily find emphasis in the other Gospels as well as John. And I'll give you the summary. In the book of Matthew, we're looking at the kingship. We're looking at the reign. We're looking at the Messiah. The book of Matthew emphasizes the Messiahship of Jesus Christ, that he is the promised king. He is the one that the old prophets wrote about. He is the one that God spoke about right at the beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve had sinned and said there's going to be a promised seed that will bruise the head of the devil. Now, that promised Messiah is the one that Matthew is highlighting, that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah, the one that Abraham spoke about or God told Abraham about that from his seed the nations will be blessed that he is the promised Messiah the one that Jeremiah talks about in chapter 23 verse 5 that the king shall reign and prosper who is that king we need to know that king we need to have a relationship with that king our salvation is dependent on that king now what Matthew does he highlights the kingship that Christ is the promised Messiah and we'll be going more into details later on then we have the book of Mark Mark emphasizes the servanthood Christ is the servant king and while Matthew emphasizes and highlights the kingship of Christ that he is the Messiah that's why in the book of Matthew for instance you have the word kingdom used over 50 times about 55 times you have the word king or the phrase kingdom of heaven 
used about 32 times. You have phrases like the son of David in the book of Matthew. The word son of David you know, links Christ to the throne as the king. So over and over again, you see the, the emphasis of Matthew. But when you move straight to Mark, right after Matthew, Mark's emphasis through the Holy Spirit, his emphasis is the servanthood of Jesus Christ that Christ actually came to serve. And therefore, if you look at Zechariah chapter 3 and in verse 8, it says, my servant, the branch. So, in Matthew, emphasis is Christ as king, that he's a promised Messiah. He's the one the Jews were looking forward to. They had read about him, and the old prophets had spoken about him. And Matthew now says, you know what, brethren? The one you have been waiting for, the one we've been looking forward to, the one the old prophets had spoken about, he actually arrived. And his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So that's the emphasis of Matthew. But you see, Mark now takes a different emphasis. He goes to a 180-degree turn and emphasizes the servanthood of Christ, that Christ came to serve. And that's why you don't have, for instance, the lineage of Jesus Christ in Mark. Why do you want to know the lineage of a servant? Why do you want to know the history of a servant? There's no need for that. So you can see that in the emphasis of Mark, it differs from that of Matthew. Why? Because Mark now emphasizes the servanthood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then you come to Luke. What does Luke do? He looks at the manhood of Christ, that Christ actually came in human form. Not surprisingly, therefore, we have graphic details of, of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane as he begins to pray, and we see the sweat. What do we see in Christ there? We see his manhood. We see his humanity. We see that, yes, he's king. Yes, he's Lord. Yes, he's God. But he came in human flesh. So what does Luke do? Luke emphasizes the humanity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the reason why when Luke traces the lineage of Christ, he traces it back down to Adam because he wants to show the world that Christ actually came as a man. But not only that, Luke also emphasizes the international scope of the gospel. So while Matthew looks at Christ as king, specifically to the Jews, and writes in a Jewish context, and writes to primarily a Jewish audience, Luke emphasizes the international scope of the gospel, that Christ is for the Jews as well as the Gentiles. That's why you have the phrase like, unto the time of the Gentiles. You wouldn't find that phrase in any other gospel, but in the gospel of Luke. Or when Luke says that the fig tree and other trees. Normally in the other Gospels, you only have the fig tree, the fig tree that represents Israel. But because Luke wants to also talk about the Gentiles, he says the fig tree and other trees. And then when we see the writings and the record about Christ on the cross and uh, 
the king of the Jews, the, the, the label, the sign that Pilate put there, it's only Luke that gives us graphic details of the languages and all the international languages were written, uh, wrote that title. So we had it in, in Latin, we had it in Hebrew, we had it in Greek. What was he trying to emphasize? The international scope of the gospel. When you now come to John, a wonderful and beautiful book, John emphasizes the deity of Christ. So you now think about these listeners. If you just keep to Matthew, there's something in Mark that you wouldn't get. If you just keep to Matthew and Mark, there's something in Luke and in John you wouldn't get. So God in his infinite wisdom, who he is, what does he do? He gives us the, all these gospels to give us a robust understanding of his program and of the person of Christ and to give us an understanding of the word. So we do ourselves a uh, you know injustice if we take one book well i'll just keep to matthew no we need to read matthew mark luke and john for us to have a rounded understanding of the narrative of jesus christ of the plan of god and of course of the person of our lord and savior jesus christ now what i'm doing today i'm giving you some quite you know introduction so so that next time we come together uh, next month i won't have to go through this again but you need to understand why as math as um amos did say why we're taking this step so we need to take it step by step it's a methodical approach a narrative approach for us to understand what god is trying to pass across to us second peter three eighteen says that we should grow in grace but the only way we can grow in grace is in the knowledge of his son jesus christ so this is what we believe will bring about that growth as the lord in his infinite wisdom has put this program together and we thank god for genesis radio we thank god for the truth that they desire we thank god for the vision that they have on this radio station to get the word undiluted word of god out to the people and um, as the lord would have it he has led us to put this program together and i believe it will be a blessing now before i go into chapter one today i want to challenge you make sure that number one you mark your calendar the last thursday of every month please we're doing it wednesday to uh, this time around because we don't want to be out doing this work on the 31st we know how you know the the traffic might be so but subsequently as from january it's going to be the last thursday so my challenge is get people around get them to the radio we're going to be talking about things that Normally, you're, you're meant to get in the Bible school that you have to pay a lot of money for. But God has said we are freely received. We should freely give. So get people around so that by the grace of God, you can have probably three, four, five people around the table who are coming to listen to the word of God. And you can even have, you know, it's like a mini Bible school in your in your house that, that evening. So please get them around. Secondly, you need to have your Bible and a note so you can write down some of the things uh, you're going to listen. Uh, uh, our aim is not to entertain, but to study together, to dig deep into God's word and to grow together in the word of God. Also, you'll be getting um, updates on Facebook. Facebook, or, or you can go to Genesis Radio um, website also. You'll, you'll get uh, updates and uh, you'll be able to uh, plug in with us and know what's going on as we're having this program together. But we're not doing a one-off. That's what I'm trying to explain. We want to take it step by step and grow together. And I'm sure the Lord will bless our coming together in Jesus' name. 
Uh, one more thing I want to say before I go to the book of Matthew is um, Acts chapter 17. I read two verses from verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Now listen to the next thing. And search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. This is, this is a virtue that is missing in the church today. Many people have fallen into the, you know, the uh, clergy and laity you know, um, um, format. We just go to the church to hear a pastor, hear a minister, and that's all. No, God expects us together in oneness at the feet of Christ, at the table of the Lord, to study the word together that we might grow together. And that's why we're encouraging you in this special program that we're putting together now that you can call in, you can phone in, give us your comments, give us your, you know, your own understanding. If we even want to question, that's fine. Uh, the work of the Lord is not like a cult where you can't ask questions. It's good to ask questions so that as you ask, we allow the Holy Spirit to explain uh, in details. So that's the challenge. Please mark your diaries. Um, the last Thursday of every month, we're going to be doing this. And um, I think we're giving about two hours to this. So if you do that, invite people around. And I'm telling you, my dear brethren, you'll be getting something that, you know, in most cases, you will never get unless you go to a Bible school and spend thousands of pounds. But the Lord is saying he wants to bless you through Genesis Radio and give you what many people are paying for on a plateau of gold because of his grace and love towards you. Right, I think we will now start with chapter 1 of Matthew. Now, like we said at the beginning, Matthew is a book written by Matthew, of course, the Levite, uh, the tax collector. And as you open the pages of the book of Matthew, Matthew has a very important, unique, as well as critical assignment. The Jews, as we know, including Pilate and the Gentiles, all of us are guilty. We crucified Jesus of Nazareth. How could he be the Messiah? How could he be the coming king? How could he be the one that would deliver Israel? In fact, even Nathaniel said, and that was the mindset generally, that can anything good come out from Israel? So Christ has been crucified. They have slain him on the tree, on the cross. And lo and behold, this same Jesus of Nazareth actually is the promised king. Now that is a challenge for Matthew, that he now has to go back to his Jewish audience primarily and then tell them on the basis of scripture, on the basis of the Old Testament prophecies, that Christ actually is the king. How could we have missed it? That's its Matthew's challenge. And therefore, all through the book of Matthew, you see that Matthew is trying his best to tell the people that Christ actually is the Messiah. So, what happens as we open to Matthew chapter 1? He starts by looking at 
the lineage of Jesus Christ. He wants to start by linking this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He wants to start by saying, look, I want to show you that Christ actually comes from the lineage of two people in particular. Two important people in the history of the Jews with connection to the messiahship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. And who are those two people? David and Abraham. David and Abraham. So as we open the pages of Matthew and we read verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Now what does Matthew first of all do? Before he goes through all the names from Joseph down to Abraham, he quickly gives a summary. And he says very quickly, he doesn't want to lose the attention of his audience. He said, this has to do with David. Every average Jew knew then and knows now that the promised Messiah and the promised king will be from the throne, will be from the lineage, lineage of David. So what does he do? Immediately he introduces David. He doesn't want to lose the attention. He knows that if he starts by talking about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, without tracing his lineage to David and Abraham, two important personalities to the average Jew, he's going to lose the attention. So what does he do? He starts by saying, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he gives a very quick summary, first of all, and then he begins to go down now from Abraham. So you might open the book and wonder, why does he do that? First of all, that's the explanation. He wants to get the attention of his Jewish audience, that the Jesus of Nazareth I'm talking about the one whom I'm introducing to you, the one whom I claim is the king of kings and the promised Messiah actually comes from the lineage of David and Abraham. And you cannot dispute or refute that. So he starts by saying that. And then from verse 2, he begins to go down. Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac begot Jacob. Now, this is very interesting because now he begins to give us you know, the, his family tree, the family tree of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is so important because if you remember somewhere in the book of Nehemiah, when they came back from Babylon and they were taking their family tree, they were taking into record the lineage of the people, you remember that there were certain set of people, they couldn't trace them. And because they could not be traced, they couldn't be grafted in. The point I'm making here is that the lineage of Christ is so important. The record is very important. And Matthew, knowing that, he quickly states and outlines the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's quite interesting that we have some characters here in this family tree. And the characters we have in the family tree actually emphasizes the grace of the gospel of God. We have somebody like David mentioned, for instance, 
and we know what happened. David did sin at some point. We have someone like Solomon that is mentioned. We have someone, you know, in the Bible, someone like Ruth is mentioned. And we know that Ruth came from an idolatrous background. Or someone like Rahab is mentioned. So by the time you take all the names that are written in Matthew together, it emphasizes and it underscores the grace of God that irrespective of our background, whatever we might have done, whatever evil that we have committed, whatever kind of life that we had committed in the past, that we can be grafted in to the body of God. We can be adopted into the family of God if we repent and uh, we turn away from our sins and we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. So you have a variety of characters in the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But the point I'm making is this. It is extremely important. The Jews is not going to listen to you if we can't trace the lineage of this king. If God says that the coming king, the coming Messiah will be from the throne of David, then we need to be able to trace that lineage to the throne of David and back to Abraham. As God said that from the seed of Abraham, the nations will be blessed. Now, this will surprise many of you listeners right now. One of the reasons why any other person who comes and says he's the Messiah is a pretender is because as we speak right now, it is no longer possible to trace one's lineage back to David. Under the destruction that came through the Roman Empire, all those records of the lineage of David all the way down and down to Christ were destroyed. And it's so important that whoever says he is the Messiah, he is the King, he is the coming Lord, he is the prophet, must be able to prove through the lineage back to David, back to Abraham, that it is so. And therefore, no one else will be in that position any longer. God in his infinite wisdom knows what he was doing. And he made sure that Matthew recorded this down before the eventual destruction of the temple and when the Roman Empire plundered Jerusalem. So that's the lineage first of all. And from the lineage, it immediately goes, you know, to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But before we go into that, there are a couple of things I want to point out. You notice something that is so, so unique, a unique and consistent pattern. We're told in verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. God is the one who orchestrates history. Man may think he's in control, but he's not. Exactly 14, 14, 14 generations. That isn't a coincidence. It just shows that there's a God in heaven. There's the mighty one in heaven. 
there's the great Jehovah in heaven who is actually responsible for carving out the history of man. And God is always in control. 14 generations. Once again, from Abraham to David, from David to when they were taken to captivity in Babylon, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ of 14 generations. So let's give it some personal application here. If you're listening to me right now, it seems things are out of control. It seems the center is not holding. It seems what's going on in my life or my family or my destiny or my career, I can't really understand. If you're a believer and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're a child of God, I have some words for you. God is in absolute control. How do you think the Israelites would have felt when they were in Babylon? If some of them thought it's all over, God can't be with us. Nothing good can come out of this any longer. We, we, we have, we've lost it, we've busted, it's, it's all over. And yet the Bible tells us that exactly 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, meaning that God was still in control and will always be in control. So as you're listening right now, if there are things going on in your life, relax in the Lord. I like what was played before we started. It is well with my soul. It is well with your soul, the Lord is saying. And the Lord God Almighty, who brought out this good thing that we call the gospel, even in the midst of the trials that Israel went through, will bring out a good thing in your life also, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of other things before we go to the birth of Jesus Christ. As the writer links Christ to David, he's connecting Jesus Christ to the throne. As the writer links Christ to Abraham, he's connecting Christ to the land. So you can see the, the mindset, you can see the emphasis of God here. So he connects Christ to David to show that Jesus Christ has the right to the throne. And by connecting Christ to Abraham, emphasizing again that Jesus Christ has right to the land. He shows very clearly that Jesus Christ has every right to be called the King of the Jews. But do you also know this? When you say Son of David, you limit Christ to Israel. So Son of David is a title that has an uh, Israelite connotation. It has something to do with the nation of Israel. But when you say Son of Abraham, then it widens the scope to the Gentiles. That also is important. So what do we see therefore? You know, God is so wonderful. As he's trying to let the people know and he's trying to reveal to the people the various things about the Messiah, about the Savior, and links Christ to David regarding to the, to the throne and links Christ to Abraham with regards to the land. But more than that, that also, he's God at the same time simultaneously is showing us that Jesus Christ is the Savior for the Jews, son of David, and is the Savior of the Gentiles, son of Abraham altogether in one. And that's exactly what Matthew does as he starts at the Gospel of Matthew and he wants to show us exactly who the Lord 
and Savior Jesus Christ is. I think one more thing I just want to point out here, then we go straight into the birth of Christ Jesus, is that the word kingdom, as I said before, is used a number of times. Kingdom is used 55 times in the book of Matthew, more than any other gospel. What we do as Bible students, we look at a word that is used over and over again, and that gives us an understanding of what God is emphasizing. If you look at the politicians and you have to give a speech, a, a national speech, you know, uh, in the United States, they call it the State of the Union, uh, you need to listen carefully to what that leader is saying. And the words that you see prominent in that speech will tell us the emphasis of what that leader is trying to pass across to the people. And what you don't see tells us what he's de-emphasizing. So when you open the book of Matthew and you see the word kingdom, 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 for instance, when you look at the parable of the sower, Math, uh, Luke, as well as um, Mark, when they talk about the parable of the sower, they just say the sower sows the word. But in Christ's interpretation in Matthew, Christ says, sows the word of the kingdom. So you can see the emphasis of Matthew. If he's talking about a king, then actually there has to be a kingdom. If there's no, you know, no kingdom, if there's no kingdom, there's no king. So when you see there's a king, that gives the presupposition that there is a kingdom. And since Matthew's aim is to show the kingship and messiahship of Christ Jesus, he emphasizes a lot on the word kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. The parables, for instance, are called the parables of the kingdom. And each of those parables has to do with the kingdom of God. Also, no less than 60 references are made to the Old Testament writings as being fulfilled in Christ. Once again, what is Matthew trying to do? He's trying to say, look, you are familiar with the Old Testament. You're familiar with the writings of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Zechariah and all the people in the Old Testament who prophesied of the coming king. You're all aware. Now, what Matthew is trying to do here now is to say, actually, those prophecies have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's the emphasis now. So that's why many a times what Matthew does is saying, don't just take my word for it. I can link what, I've, what I'm saying right now back to the Old Testament. Actually, this is fulfillment of prophecy. And that's why no less than 60 references are made to the Old Testament writing as being fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So, having said all that now, let's go to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, Matthew is not leaving anything out at all. He wants to give them the full details. I'm not hiding anything. There's no gap in the history. I've given you the lineage. Now we're going to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 18, it says, The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Amazing. This is bringing us to what the prophet Isaiah said, that there will be a sign and that a virgin will 
give birth. So once again, Matthew, in a very, very methodical, but we know it's the Holy Spirit working through him, speaking through him, he begins to link everything back to fulfillment of prophecy. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee, Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, we need to pause a while here. These are some scriptures that people just gloss over and don't fully understand the import of what is going on here. It takes faith for Mary and Joseph to have accepted the message of the angel and say, yes, Lord, we will do thy will, we will do thy bidding. So many things here that comes to fall. Number one, Joseph was espoused, or Mary was espoused to Joseph with the intent that they would get married and live their humble life. And then God says, no, Mary, I have a plan. I need to use you. I need you in order for the promised Messiah to come. That was a great, great sacrifice. And the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. All of a sudden, all their plans regarding the marriage and what they would do, or maybe we'll have a honeymoon and what have you, came to a halt. God said, I need to make use of both of you. It meant that David will not have any, I mean, Joseph will not have any intimacy with his wife for at least nine months after they were married. That was real sacrifice indeed. Secondly, it took faith. Faith on the path of Mary. This had never happened before. You think about it. An angel appears unto you as a woman and says, you're going to get pregnant, you are going to have a child, and that child will be the Messiah. How would you sleep that night? How would you sleep the following night? What would be on your mind? And yet the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So it will require faith. Number three, it required commitment and consecration. And I said, Lord, let your will be done. If it means all my plans will have to come to a halt, or if it means that I have to tear up all my own personal ad agenda for you to do your own program, your own will, so let it be done. It's part of the problems we have in churches today. Everybody has his own agenda. Every sister has her own agenda. Every brother has his own agenda. So you have a church of maybe 5,000 or 500 or 6,000, and you have 6,000 people with 6,000 agendas. How is it going to work? But Joseph and Mary willingly surrendered themselves unto the Lord. You know one other thing? 
if you look at the lineage of Joseph and the lineage of Mary, both of their lineages can be traced back again to David. Very important. Very important. So that there's no escape route. So that nobody can say, well, in fact, we needed Joseph so that there will be a legal, he will have a legal father. And nobody will say he, that Christ Jesus wasn't legal. So all of this, see, we see that God is in perfect control and that God in his wisdom has chosen out this way for the Messiah to come. And Matthew now is recording this for the people. He said, look, you can check this up. I'm not giving you fables. Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was crucified on the cross. He is the Messiah. And if you want to trace down, trace down, go, on, go back, ask questions about uh, the life of the Father. Ask questions about Mary. And you will get to know. Ask questions about the brothers and the sisters of, of Jesus Christ, half-brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And they will tell you that their mother was pregnant before she ever knew Joseph. Now, one more thing we point out here, which I would say it's very, very uncommon in Christendom today, is what we call angelic ministration. You can see that the angel appeared unto Mary. You find that record in the book of Luke. And the angel now appearing unto Joseph. These were people that were heavenly minded. These were people, as we told in the Bible, Joseph was just. He was a just man. He wasn't a careless man. He wasn't a carnal man. He wasn't a man of the flesh. He wasn't a man that, you know, sit down and walk the pops, you know, top of the pops or, you know, whatever it is they call it today and watch all these worldly carnal things. He was a man who feared the Lord. He was a just man, the Bible says. And because we had people like this in, in, in those days, it was very easy for them to experience angelic ministration. I've actually experienced it myself, but that's what I'm going to talk about today. But the point I'm bringing out is this. Angelic ministration is part of what God has put together to bless the people of God. The angels, we're told, are actually spirits meant to minister unto the heirs of salvation, as we're told in Hebrews chapter 1. And therefore, this, it shouldn't be strange for the people. That we know they're the extremists and the um, charlatans and uh, the people who are the new agers and they want to play around with angel this and angel that. But I'm talking about the purity of God's program. And when God's hand is in it, the fact that there's error and the fact that there are people who are capitalizing on the word of God, the fact that there are the new agers around will never discountenance the truth that the truth is still there. And from time to time, God would minister to his people through angels. So we have verse 20 once again. But while he thought on these things, he was a thoughtful man. He wasn't rash. He didn't say, well, how, what happened to my wife? I kick you out. He thought. He was deliberate. He was meticulous. He thought. These are the kind of people that God can use. He didn't just act irrationally. He thought. He meditated. Sometimes as a believer, when you're confronted with something that seems to confound you, don't take a decision in the midst of the heat. Don't even speak at that time. You're going to speak amiss. You're going to say things that you ought not to say. You're going to say things that later on you're going to regret. People of God, you need to just sit back first. 
wait upon the Lord. Listen to the Spirit of God. Let God himself minister. And that's exactly what the, the, the step that Joseph took. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, wonderful. Over and over and over again, when the Lord sends his angels to his people, those angels will always mention the name of that person. Wonderful. Isn't it great that God knows our name and God can speak out our name and that God can minister to us at that intimate level and talk to us? It says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For thou, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. This is the reason why Christ is God. Some don't understand, especially if you're living in this day and age, when we talk about the Son of God, the Son of God, the Son of God already gives the presupposition that he is God by virtue of saying son of God every one of us we are God's children by adoption we were born in sin so we were not naturally born son or daughter of God we were born in the flesh in the flesh we were conceived in sin and after we repented and we called out to God for grace, God now adopts us into his own family. But for Christ, he's the only one who is son of God by birth. Son of God by birth. Now, I will explain something to you. This is wonderful. Why was it important for Christ to come through Mary and as a virgin. You may not all know this, but when a woman is pregnant, there's what we call the villi. It's like a wall. And that wall is meant to um, not allow the, the blood of the mother to mix with the blood of the child. You normally call it the villi. So there's a kind of, you know, a wall around that stops the blood from mingling. So the blood of the mother who is pregnant doesn't mingle with the blood of the child in the womb. And normally they will tell you, medical people will tell you this also, that normally the constituents of the blood of the child in the womb is from the father. Listen to what I'm saying. So you have the wall there, and the blood cannot be mixed up, and Christ is in the womb of Mary. Then the question is, where did Christ Jesus get his blood from? Since the blood of the child in the womb doesn't mix with that of the mother. Yes, you got it right. God the Father. That's why it says the precious blood of Jesus. The precious blood blood of Jesus 
every one of us had our blood is iniquitous blood blood from a you know sinful man blood from a sinful parent only jesus christ son of god got his blood from the father that's why he is son of god but also god he was conceived he was conceived of the holy ghost he was conceived of the holy spirit so while all of us are adopted children into God's kingdom through repentance and believing on Christ as Lord and Savior and having our sins washed away, Jesus Christ is the only one. That's why it says the only begotten Son of God. Nobody else has that title used for. So, very important. So we see what is happening here. It says, Mary, thy wife, will have a child for that which is conceived in her is of the holy ghost that's why christ is god verse 21 and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name jesus you see the only thing that god does is miracles so maybe you're in a situation right now see only a miracle will get me out well i have good news for you the only thing god does is miracles she, he, Christ, Mary, conceived by the Holy Ghost. Christ was born by miracle. How can you have a virgin give birth to a child? How is that possible? It's never recorded before in human history. But it shows us once again who our God is and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. But most importantly to Matthew... Matthew was trying to point his Jewish audience back to the book of Isaiah, where it says that a virgin shall give birth. And she shall bring forth, verse 21, a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I, I don't know whether I have enough time for that verse. That is the primary objective goal, plan, will of Christ coming to earth. Do you know what, listeners, many people, many churches, many denominations, without being dramatic about this, have lost the essence, the reason, the centrality for why Christ came in the first place. The issue is sin. And if sin is not dealt with, if iniquity is not dealt with, if unrighteousness is not dealt with, if our evil is not dealt with, if our flesh is not dealt with, there's no gospel. Here we have the angel coming directly. And we know man, you know, in the flesh, they can mis, uh, misplace the message or they could mis, you know, direct the message or they could misinterpret the message. So you may have some people behind the pulpits who are not given the real message. But if you have an angel coming from God, specifically angel Gabriel in this sense, you look at uh, the version of Luke, and you see that you have his name there. And you have angel Gabriel coming from God, bringing the message. He's not going to make a mistake. He's not going to distort the message. An angel doesn't distort God's message. So he was coming with the message from God. And the first thing he tells uh, Joseph that the purpose and the reason for why Christ is coming is foreseen. Foreseen. That if sin isn't dealt with, if sin isn't addressed, 
if iniquity is not addressed, if unrighteousness is not addressed, then the purpose and the reason for why Christ came is not fulfilled. And you have many people, you know, that would say so many things, you know, and say, well, um, this is the reason why Christ came, and he came for this, and he came for that, and he came for this. But my dear brethren, the real issue we're told by the angel. Verse 21 again. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's quite ironical. Because here we have Matthew here reaching out to the Jewish brethren and saying, yes, come over, come over. This is the Messiah. And instead of him of saying, well, Christ has come to restore the land first. Christ has come to reign on the throne first. No, that is important. That is part of the program, without a doubt. But it goes to the real issue at stake here. It's seen, seen. The wages of sin is death. And if sin is not dealt with, and we take the Bible, we go to church, we read you know, the word of God, we do church things, we, we preach in church, we administer in church, we sing in church, we do things in church, we are leading people in church, and sin is not dealt with. It's such a waste of time. The reason why Christ came was to deal with sin. And if we, you know, we pamper with the scene, we look over the scene, we give excuse for the scene, we say it doesn't really matter, then guess what? It means the purpose for why Christ came is not fulfilled in that individual or family or church or nation. I read it once again. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. What's the primary reason for his coming? For he shall save his people from their sins. One of the things I do from time to time as I reach out, I'm to say I'm saved. The next question I ask them is, saved from what? Christ didn't come to save us from hell. I'm sure you might be surprised now. What is he saying? Just hear me out, hear me out. Don't turn off. He didn't come to save us from hell. Christ came to save us from sin. And because we are saved from sin, we are now saved from hell. Do you understand, listeners? And that's what the angel comes. So he comes from God the Father. He said, this is the reason. This is the message. This is the goal. This is the objective. He shall save his people from their sins. That's why if you go further on and you read the book of John chapter 8, when Christ begins to have this discourse with, with the Jews, and he told the Jews, that, you know, he is the son. And they were saying, no, we are God's children also. And he said, he that committed sin is the servant of sin. But the son abided forever. And then he goes further on to say that whoever is in sin is a servant of sin. But he that the son sets free. That's the purpose, that's the reason, that's the calling, that's the ministry. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. Meaning that the ministry of the Savior is fulfilled because he has set that person free from the bondage and from the iniquity and from the dominion of sin. So it's so very important, before I go to the next verse, that we understand 
the purpose, the reason, and the calling. One of the things I usually say is that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It might not be attractive, it might not pull the crowd, it might not make you popular, but the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's exactly what Christ did all through his ministry. In fact, uh, it's been laid on my heart to actually read this um, encounter with you in John chapter 8, and then we can link it together. John chapter 8, please. I believe you have your Bibles. John chapter 8, and I'm going to read from verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abided not in the house forever, meaning no eternal life, meaning no eternal glory, meaning nothing to look forward to after death, but judgment and damnation. And the servant abided not in the house forever, but the Son, Jesus Christ, abides forever. If the Son therefore, that's the ministry of Christ, if the Son therefore it's not the preaching, it's not the big crowd, it's not the, the things we do in the church. Yes, they're important, but all those things aren't the main reason for his coming. So it says here once again, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Emphasizing the ministry of Jesus Christ. So we go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. So as the angel appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, you have been thinking. You have been meditating. You are not rash about it. He didn't just rush to your wife and say, get out of the house. Uh, what happened to you? You are, not, you know, you, you are a fornicator. He didn't, he didn't say that. He listened. He allowed the Holy Spirit to minister to him. And then as the angel appeared to him in a dream, it says very clearly... It says that Jesus Christ, when he comes, he shall save his people from their sins. The captain of our salvation. And he's always there, ready to reach out for his people. But I'm actually, once again, on verse 21. And where the angel, Angel Gabriel in particular, is emphasizing the core ministry of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And if we miss this, we miss the entirety of the message, of the essence, of the reason of Christ's coming. The angel appears to Joseph and tells Joseph not to be afraid to take his espoused wife, Mary, that that which is in her is conceived of the Holy Ghost. And then he says in verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus for the reason. That's the purpose. That's the goal. That's what God has in mind. That's the essence of the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came to deliver, but it's more than deliverance. He came to heal, but it's more than healing. He came to provide, but it's more than provision. The angel coming from God. And I can tell you one thing. We as human beings 
might miss the message given to us to deliver. But an angel coming from God will never miss the message that God has sent him. And the angel therefore tells Joseph that the essence of the ministry of Jesus Christ is he's going to save his people from their sins. That's the main reason. So here we have the angel. Think about this scenario. We have the angel appearing unto Joseph. And Joseph is, you know, obviously surprised about, about what he hears. And as the angel is introducing Christ to him and what Christ would do, you know, about the birth of Christ, he now also underscores the essence of Christ coming and his ministry. And therefore, if we do church, and church is not addressing sin, if we do church, we do programs, we do conferences, you know, we have a big crowd, 6,000, 5,000, 10,000, you know, and we have meetings and we have retreats. And we're not addressing the main issue, which is sin. Then it means the purpose, the reason for the coming of Christ and the ministry of Christ is not fulfilled. How important is this? If you look at John chapter 8, John chapter 8, once again, verse, I read from verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, meaning no eternal life, meaning no eternal glory, meaning no eternal hope. Because the servant doesn't abide forever, but the son abided forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. John 8, 36. So what do we see here therefore? We see the essence of the ministry of Jesus Christ, you know, being proclaimed right at the beginning in Matthew chapter 1. As the angel appears unto Joseph, he says, this is what he has come to do. This is the reason why he has come. This is the essence of his ministry, that he might save his people from their sins. Very important. If we miss that, we miss entirely. People, the, the, the Jews were looking for a Messiah, a militant Messiah, a militant king, someone that would take over for them and destroy the Roman Empire and bring them back to their liberation and emancipation. But that isn't actually the primary essence of the ministry of Christ. He came to save his people from their sins. And therefore, as we are given the privilege behind the pulpits, in the churches, in the de denominations, in the programs, as Sunday meetings and teachings, we need to make sure as ministers that we're emphasizing, we're raising up, we are exalting, we are emphasizing and amplifying what Christ came to do. He came to save his people from their sins, from the bondage and dominion of sin. Like I said before, he didn't come to save from hell. He came to save from sin. And because we are saved from sin, we are eventually saved from hell. Verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. Now that's the word you need to look out for 
all through in the book of Matthew, as we're taking it chapter by chapter, is the word fulfilled. Is the word fulfilled. Matthew's assignment is to show the Jewish audience and his Jewish brethren that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. He is the promised King. He is the promised leader, prophet, that God had spoken about in the Old Testament through the Old Testament prophets. So many a times you're going to come across the word fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled. Like I said once again at the beginning, that phrase fulfilled is used over and over again. No less than 60 references actually are made to the Old Testament writings as being fulfilled in Christ. Meaning that Matthew is very careful, very meticulous. He wants to make sure that he's very clear, that he's not writing a fable, that he's not just conjuring, you know, a, a figure and saying, well, he's the Messiah. Actually, he's trying to align and harmonize the events, the life of Jesus, the happenings in the life of Jesus, the encounters of Jesus right from his birth. He wants to align everything with scripture and that actually the life of Christ, the entirety of the life of Christ is the embodiment of fulfillment of scripture. So we see that word, very important word in verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. And as we go into the other chapters, we'll be looking out for that word from time to time. Which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it means, Emmanuel. Some people struggle with, how can he be God? He has to be God to save us. But he also has to be man to save us. Christ had to come as man in order to represent us so that he will be a true representation and a true substitute for mankind. If Christ was anything higher than man, or let me put it this way, if Christ wasn't also man, even though he is God, he wouldn't truly represent mankind but we're told in verse 23 here that what happened to mary the experience and the encounter that mary had wasn't a you know a figment of matthew's imagination it can be traced back once again to the book of isaiah where the lord had already promised isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 in particular where the lord had promised that a virgin will give birth to a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Why? Because everything that has to do with God the Father will be reflected in the Son. Very quickly, let's see what the Bible says in the book of Colossians to back that up. Colossians, I will read from here. Colossians, once again, it's important you have your Bible during this series as we'll be looking at the Bible line upon line and precept upon precept. A little here, a little there, as the Bible says. But see how Jesus Christ is 
referred to here in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. Who is the image of the invisible God. That's where Emmanuel comes in. God with us. Everything that has to do with God. The virtue of God. The love of God. The power of God. The mind of God. The purpose of God. The will of God. Everything is reflected in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's why it says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. And it goes on to describe who he is. It says in verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So what Christ came to do, he came to reflect the person, the virtue, the power, the love, the humility, the goodness, the compassion, the deliverance, of God. Everything that has to do with God the Father. That's why it says we are complete in Christ Jesus. That's why it says Christ said that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. There's nothing less of the Father that you ever get. I've given you everything that has to do with the Father. Whatever I say are the words of the Father. The parables are the words of the Father. When I say repent, is the word of the Father. When I say the way is narrow and the gate is straight, that's the word of the Father. When I tell you that except, except a man repent, he cannot receive the kingdom of God, that's the word of the Father. When I say that except a man be born again, he cannot see God's kingdom, that's the word of the Father. When I say you need to walk in humility and holiness, that's the word of the Father. So over and over again, what Christ does, Jesus Christ, is actually, he's amplifying the Father. He's showing who the Father is to the people. That's why he says his, his name shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Some people want to get to the Father outside Christ. It's not possible. Some people think, well, I can know the Father in some other way. It's not possible. Everything we need to know about the Father is reflected bodily in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us so as we get to the last two verses of the book of uh, uh, chapter one of the book of matthew uh, where we're going to end today it reads then joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife wow what a tremendous act of faith Without faith, as I said before, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How could this man, who has never married before, looking forward to his marriage, and now he hears from God, and by virtue of what God has said, number one, he needs to take a risk. He needs to take in his wife, his, you know, his, the espoused woman who he hadn't married yet, but take her in and marry her, knowing fully well that she's already pregnant. He will have to defend her. He will have to support her. Not only that, for the next nine months, 
you wouldn't have any intimacy with her in order to preserve the sacredness of that child. I think Joseph is a figure that we tend to just, you know, forget about. Many people, you know, there's some denominations where they, you know, they say Hail Mary and Hail, you know, and all that. We know that is actually fallacy. But at the same time, sometimes we tend to forget the sacrifice that Joseph himself had to put in. And he had to believe, he had to stand. Obviously, the enemy will come and try to bring doubts. Do you think what you're doing is right? Do you think it's the truth? Do you think what are you taking, uh, you know, are you really sure that this is of God? But Joseph stood with the word of God. Very important. Very important indeed. We thank God for such a character called Joseph who stood with the word and thereby defended the revelation of God. So we come to the last verse in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 1. And Joseph knew her not, that's the sacrifice, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Amen. God's word will always come to pass. Amazing. Amazing. And I usually see that it's the word of God that is the ultimate solution to every problem in this world. God gave the word hundreds and thousands of years ago to prophet Isaiah that a woman will be on earth who is a virgin and yet will give birth to the king. Mary was her name and it came to pass. God will always bring to pass his word. And it happens that she now brought forth her child. It says her firstborn son. This is important. Christ came from a very large family. He came to dwell amongst us. He lived a life like any ordinary man. He mingled with people like any ordinary man. He came from a regular family like any other person. He had brothers, he had sisters. That's why it says firstborn. If there's one thing that is killing the churches today is that pastors place themselves very high. They can't mingle with the people. They can't relate with the people. You have to serve them differently. Their food must be different. Why? I'm the pastor. I need to have a separate, you know, you need to respect me. You need to know who I am. And yeah, we see Christ Jesus coming from an ordinary family. He coming from a family that if you hadn't known he was the Messiah, you would have said, well, this is just like any other place, like any other family. And he had brothers, he had sisters. You think about this as we bring this to a, a close right now. You might have your questions or comments you want to make and phone in. But you think about this. As Christ began to grow up with the other brothers and sisters in that family, at least there were seven children that Mary had, at least. Four of his other brothers are mentioned, and then he says sisters, so at least there were two. So four plus two will give you six, and Jesus Christ will give you so seven children, large family, you know. And Christ, I can assure you, wouldn't have said, well, you know what, I'm different from all of you. They would have ate the same thing. They would have gone, you know, as brothers, maybe slept in the same room. They would have done the same job. He was a carpenter. We need to learn humility from our Lord and Savior. The Bible says in John chapter 2 from verse 9, that even though he is God, 
and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. And like I said earlier in the program, one of the things that is destroying the church is that everybody has his own agenda. Everybody knows this one has pride there, a pride there, that brother there, you know, um, and that sister there, or maybe that pastor there, or maybe that worker there. And the whole thing, you know, God doesn't work any longer. There's no spirit of God. There's no power of God. We need to learn from Jesus Christ as Matthew here opens him up to us here. He was the firstborn amongst his siblings, and yet he lived with them in that family. So I end with this. I knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name in capital letters. Come on, listeners. Yes, Jesus, the most famous name in the entire world. Jesus. Think about that. And the power of that name, the authority in that name. He has been given a name above every other name. That at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. We thank God. So that's what happens. Matthew starts in chapter 1, gives us the lineage of Jesus Christ, a historical background about Christ, tracing back to Adam, I mean David, and tracing back to Abraham. David means he has right to the throne. Abraham means he has right to the land. And then we see the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. And I, best, I believe I want to hand over to Matthew. And he will Bless you, Samson. That was fantastic. We do apologise for the outage earlier on. We genuinely had no idea. I was going to say we're talking to ourselves, but we weren't talking to ourselves. It's all recorded and it will all go out in its entirety tomorrow and on New Year's Day. But we do know that we're doing the right thing. Otherwise, the devil wouldn't be doing his darndest to prevent it. And that's the reality. And that message goes out to you as well. If you think that you're frustrated in all the things you do to witness, to evangelise, to glorify God and everything you do, you're being tripped up. There's all sorts of things coming your way. Then you know you're doing the right thing because the devil's trying to stop it. That's the reality. We're going to take a quick piece of music just to buy we settle things up here for the phones and everything. But before we do hand, just to remind you the phone lines are now open. The phone line number, the text number, and the email address are all on the Facebook page. They're all on the website www.genesischristianradio.com. That's Genesis Christian Radio as one word, and you can find all that information as well on our Facebook page. So please text in, call us or email studio at genesischristianradio.com. We want your questions. We want your comments, albeit it might be slightly disjointed if you didn't hear the first part of the sermon tonight, but we do appreciate that. But you can still go back to the script yourself. It's Matthew chapter 1. It's all about the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just maybe think, actually, that we do have so much to be thankful for, not just for the Christmas presents and things that we've probably had over this last couple of days, but just the simple things in life. And also, that ability to be able to do this, to be broadcasting in freedom, to tell the world about Jesus Christ, to talk to our brothers and sisters, to teach, to preach, and to understand what our Lord Jesus is saying to us through his word. So it's really important that we do here, and we just need to be thankful, not just for all the big things in our life, but also for those little things, those things sometimes that we just take for granted, even if we don't intend to, and many a time we don't actually intend to. It just 
we get conditioned to life and we just say things without even realising. So, please text in. The text number is 07948 I'll just repeat that. It's 07948 if you want to call us on the phone line, it's 07941 557 641. 07941 557 641. Both those numbers are on the website and on the Facebook page. And you can also email us, email us even, at studio at genesischristianradio.com. Please do so. Okay, one more record, and then we're going to go to the phone lines. We're going to go to the texts. But that's all dependent on you contacting us. If not, I'll have to ask Samson all the questions myself. And he's probably heard them before from me. So please do give us a text, give us a call or drop us an email. If you drop us a text, if you're the first one, I promise I'll call you back. How's that? Can't be bad. Okay. Keeping in the theme, here's my favourite kind of music, bikepack music. Usually on occasions like this, when you've had a, a breakdown transmission, unless you've got people who are listening because they know you or the promise to listen and are, are being very dutiful. I didn't get the Sometimes whenever you have a, a breakdown transmission like yes. this, people go off and do other things, have I a bath or whatever, <laughs> and you lose the whole thread. So we're relying on, on the no, Lord. No problem, you know, no problem. But it doesn't matter. I, I do understand. Mm-hmm. I do understand, and mm. you know, it's like we're just sitting the, you know, we're sitting the, the scene, you know, mm. because by the time people get to listen to the, re- to the repeat on and on and on, and then they get to know that actually yeah. it's going to be, you every, know, every, you know, first, yeah. yeah, every, you know, last Thursday of the month, they should get ready. You'd be amazed how all of a sudden people are getting themselves ready to really study well, together. Well, the thing is, and this is the important thing as you just said, I've had people who text me tonight and contacted me on my phone, all of a sudden your phone's ringing. People who ordinarily wouldn't listen. Yes, yeah, yeah. Praise but because God. it's not working, they're trying to tell me we're not listening. So people do listen That's good. in their lives, yes. but they don't necessarily tell you. Yes. By the way, it I listened in on Tuesday or Wednesday. But they do listen. And that's important, you know. It is important. In fact, the guy, one of the guys who texted me is my friend who is a multimillionaire, and he's listening. And I'm encouraged the fact that he's listening. Yes. He lost his wife this time three years ago. He's got two little girls to bring up, a six and a four year old. And he's still finding life very difficult. Yes. He's, he's let himself go big yes. time, but he still loves the Lord with a passion. Yes. But he's just lost his focus on life yes. and yes. his motivation yes. and all yes. that sort of yes. stuff. Yes. So the fact that he was even listening that's, that's really great. is a real encouragement that's to really, me. That's really you know, great. because the Lord had brought him and I together, yes. Yes. and we're starting to bond. Yes. And I that's can see really a change good. in him through the that's, Holy Spirit, that's just really good. giving him that confidence he can actually yes. Yes. have Absolutely. a life again. Absolutely. You know, but that's it's really important. So I'm glad he called in. Actually, that's really good. Right, let's do this. Let's close that door. Well, we have had one uh, email into the studio by a guy called Fahim Kwazir. Fahim is from Pakistan. Fahim, your question isn't relevant to tonight, but I do bless you and I do thank you for emailing us and letting us know the situation you've all there with Urdu and Hindu and Farsi languages. Um, I will email you again over the next couple of days. So uh, thank you very much for your encouraging message and I will be in touch hopefully over the next couple of days.
So please do text in to Genesis Christian Radio 07948 903 388 or the phone number 07941 557641 or email studio at genesischristianradio.com. And I'm going to ask Samson some questions. This is the bit I love. I love doing the Jeremy Vine bit and sounding very, very important and intellectual. And I'm not. I'm not worldly wise. I'm not scripturally wise. But I do know some questions that I've always been intrigued by. So I'm going to play your part tonight until you phone in and let us know some of the questions you might have been curious about and some of the things you might want to have answered yourself. The first thing that struck me, um, Samson, with this scripture from Matthew and many other scriptures that are about genealogies is we tend to skip them over. So we go to the Genesis 5 genealogy and he begat so and so and so and so begat so and so and even Genesis 10 of all the nations because it's quite dry and it's quite long and it's a bit boring. We don't read it. But the reality is there's nothing in the Bible, in the scriptures that's there just for gloss, just to fill in gaps. It's all relevant, it's all important. Absolutely. And I think tonight, having listened to what you said and expanding on that scripture from Matthew, and again, in a few weeks' time, we'll probably have a look at the Luke chapter 3 version of that. It isn't just about the lineage of the Lord. Mm. This is the Lord's way of showing us that there were two avenues through Abraham and through David which both must have been accomplished and the Lord did that through his adopted father Joseph and through his biological mother Mary Mary. both lead back to David and both lead back to Abraham add both those genealogies together with the Genesis 5 that's how roughly we get the age of the earth as we know it, because we can add all those so-and-so lived 800 years, all those things. So that's how we come to those. So there is a, another aspect too that we can look at some other time. But to look at this, this really does discount and cut short any arguments. Well, Jesus couldn't be the Messiah because his father wasn't his biological father. Absolutely. absolutely. And that's, it's so important. And, and as the Lord laid on our hearts to, to mention during the session today, you see... The difficulty with them rejecting Christ as the Messiah, even though we have the lineage of Christ given very clearly, God in his infinite wisdom, he's always eternally ahead of man, eternally ahead of the devil, eternally ahead of false doctrine, and he knew that there will be people who want to discontinence Christ, and therefore he puts his lineage very clearly Mm. traceable. You see, this is not fable traceable that you can actually see where Christ came from both from David from Joseph rather and from the Mary links back to David having right to the throne it means and back to Abraham meaning that Christ also has rights to the land now this is so crucial because we've got to a point now where in Israel you can't really trace the lineage of David any longer this is the thing, isn't it? Along with the temple being destroyed and the Jewish um, mindset of today expecting the Messiah to come back, but the Bible quite clearly says he has to come before AD 70, before the second temple is destroyed. That's already happened. So how do they deal with that? They invent their modern synagogue teaching, their modern way of Jewishness. Yes. And this is one of the things they can't reconcile. They can't get around that, can they? Absolutely. So many things they can't reconcile. And this is where... You know, 
some of the people wouldn't have any excuse. You see, they saw the miracles of Christ in the days of Jesus. They saw what he did that no other person could do this. No other person could do the miracles that he did. No other person could raise Lazarus from the dead like he did. Mm -hmm. No other person could multiply the bread like he did. No other person could cast out the devils like he did. And yet they crucified him. Why? Because he just did not fit their mindset, yeah. their preconceived idea. And it's exactly with the lineage of Christ too. Even though it's traceable, even though they, historically they can see that Jesus of Nazareth is of the lineage of David and Abraham, but they discountenance that. And that's the reason why if they move away from the revealed truth, the Bible says uh, in the book of Thessalonians that he will now give them over to a strong delusion mm. because they will actually have to be deluded to believe that somebody else whom you can't trace, you can't trace his lineage to David, you can't trace his lineage to Abraham, but they're going to accept somebody else as the Messiah, unfortunately. And that's exactly what Matthew tries to do right from the very beginning. He addresses that he wants to embrace the Jewish audience. He wants to tell them, this is, it's, this is not a fable. This is the truth. This is of God. This is traceable. This is verifiable. And that's why over and over again he says, this happened in the life of Jesus of Nazareth so that it, it fulfills testimony. It fulfills scripture. It's according to the Old Testament. I mean, about 60 times. Yeah. So he's doing that over and over again to reassure them that, yes, you have every right to... to probably to doubt or you're not sure about it you have every right to question you have every right to be cautious but look at the evidence look at the scripture this is the messiah do you know this is wonderful and it's something which i never considered before but when you describe tonight joseph and his line going back to solomon and mary going back as well they both take different avenues and we'll maybe discuss later on the issues of the curse when you're hacking and all the rest of it but it was just when you discussed the grafting in. Yes. We have that lineage of the Lord through Joseph, his adopted earthly father, mm. because his father was adopted. Mm. His father was grafted in. Yes, absolutely. And Jesus was then grafted into his earthly yes. family, yes. even though biologically he didn't yes. have yes. any connection whatsoever. Yes. And that really shows us when Jesus lays claim to you, yes. when God lays claim to you, yes. you're his. Yeah, There's no half measures. There's yes. no, well, yeah, I raised him until he was 18, then he went off and done his own thing. No, <laughs> when the Lord grafts you in, yes. you're in, you're, you're in. secure. Absolutely. And it, and it's so important to us. And it also shows us that we have a sovereign God. Yeah. It reflects both the, the gospel of Christ and how it impacts and how it, it affects the Jews but also the gospel of Christ and how it impacts and affects the Gentiles. That there's both the Jewish uh, aspects of the gospel as well as the international scope of the gospel. And we see that as David links, I mean, as Matthew links Christ to David and links Christ again to Abraham, that you'll be the father of many nations. Yeah. And through Abraham, we're grafted in through David, the nation of Israel is highlighted. So once again, we can see that God is, he's just God. And he has a way 
of doing his thing in such in such manner that nobody is left out and therefore as God is the God of the Jews is the God of the Gentiles is the God of the old and is the God of the new. Jude I like and we're going to take a question from Norman who's texted in good evening Norman okay. take your question in a second but I just love the way the Lord deals with things in a way that man could never think of the Lord resolves problems. The Lord soothes the way. The Lord fixes issues yes. in ways that if you left it to mankind through a committee or through some sort of, you know, intellectual process, we would just make it worse. Mm. But the Lord resolves the problems. But you have to be obedient to what he says. Absolutely. No matter how ridiculous it might seem to us, no matter how bizarre or how strange it may seem. And I was just thinking of Gideon with all those soldiers sitting down by the river sliding. You want me to drink the water as a tip? You know, th- why? But they did it, yes. you know, because they knew the Almighty God had commanded it. Absolutely. And that's, to me, the important thing with all this is sometimes in our walk with the Lord, yes. we may be in places, we may be in situations, have done things, we're about to do things, and we think, Lord, are you sure? And it's that trust, it's that obedience. Absolutely. The Lord has taken you by the hand. Absolutely. He's with you all the way. Absolutely. I think that's a real blessing, especially yeah. as we come to the end of this year with all the people we've yes, had. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You're very right. And like you rightly said, you spoke about mindsets. You said, I think that's one of the things that really can stand in the way between us and believing and faith in the sense that because the people had a mindset of who the Messiah should, or what he should look like, and what he should be, and what he should do. That's the only reason why Jesus Christ was rejected. All the other evidence was there, but because they had a mindset that it has to be this way. I mean, even the siblings of Jesus Christ did not believe initially. Absolutely. And they all lived together. And bearing in mind that this is the one who was born without sin, there's no doubt his life his character, his mannerism, everything would have been different, you know, in the family. They, they would have known there's something different about this brother. There's something that we don't have that he has. But they still did not believe for it for some time. Why? The mindset again. And, you know, you think about this. As the mother, obviously, Mary would have told the other children, this is how I gave birth yes. to your first brother. But guess what? They still didn't believe, you see, and it comes back again to that mindset. And it wouldn't have just been Jesus' siblings, it would have been through Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, mm. and John the Baptist, yes. and the extended family, yes. and the people in the village. Yes. And that's why when they said, is this not the son of the carpenter? Yes. Are his brothers and sisters not amongst us? Absolutely. They knew, Absolutely. they knew. Absolutely. They knew. Let, let's take this question from Norman. It, it's slightly off off our subject tonight, but it doesn't matter. Norman asks this question. He says, Pastor Samson, thank you for coming back on air. How important is it to our salvation to make sure our communion in our church is of unleavened bread and not normal? I'm guessing not normal bread, i.e. not sliced bread or whatever I think you're getting at Norman. And the wine should not be of alcohol. Thanks, Norman. Norman, a curious question. I'm just wondering why you've asked this. This isn't something which... I've ever heard discussed before whether it's relevant to have real wine or Ribena or whether it's better to have brown bread or rye bread or unleavened bread. But is it relevant to our salvation, Pastor? It is. Well, it is very important. Um, I asked me about this question, if it's important or... Sorry, um, Amos, what did you say again? He's asked the question, is our salvation conditioned or is the bread and the wine relevant to our salvation? So should it be flat unleavened bread and should it be real wine, i.e. 
okay. alcoholic or non-alcoholic wine? Is that relevant to our salvation? Um, I think it's, it is an, an important question, and we need to look back at what the Lord instituted back in the book of um, um, Exodus, when he started, you know, told the people, you're going to come out from Egypt this night. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And the unleavened bread was instituted there and then. And in Christ, and the Lord told them what to do. Now, it's interesting that he has asked this question because when the angels came to um, Abraham, remember when this three angels yeah. came and they, they came to Abraham and Abraham received them, we're told that Abraham prepared unleavened, unleavened bread, yes. Unleavened bread, you see. And God has a way of speaking through similes, through symbols, mm -hmm. and what have you. Now, the reason why it's important to take unleavened bread is because leaven, according to the Bible, represents sin. It, connotes, it has a connotation that has to do with sin. If you look at the book of um, First Corinthians, chapter 5, 1 Corinthians, chapter 5, I'll read a couple of scriptures Please. here. Um, verse 6, Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Hold on a minute. The, the New Testament explains the Old Testament. Now, if we look into the details of the unleavened, the feast of the unleavened bread, not only did God tell the Israelites not to take leaven for that period, he actually told them to take it out of their house. Mm. So it wasn't just about eating it. He said, make sure there's no leaven in the house during these days. Not only that, God said if there's anyone that has leaven or eats leaven at that time, that person's soul must be cut off. So there is something God saw as so important for them to keep to the uh, unleavened bread. And not only that, in addition, to make sure that anything that is leavened in the house it's not, about that. it's not a matter of, well, I'm not going to eat it. No, take it out completely. Do you think has any relevance then to the yeast and the spreading of sin, i.e. symbolized by the uh, yeast, uh, where the unleavened bread, it was totally without absolutely, anything? Absolutely, And that's where he now says in verse um, 6 here, For your glory is not good. No, you know that a little yeast leavens the whole lump, yeah. re representing sin. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Wow. So Paul now is using the Old Testament language. Purge out. Take it out of your house. Take leaven out. It's a representation, spiritual representation of exaggeration of sin, of iniquity. And God wants it out because he wants to use that to speak to the people of Israel. In fact, it's so, it's so interesting that this um, Norman, uh, listener, yeah. Yeah, Norman, has re uh, written us this because it goes back once again, in some sense, to Matthew one twenty one. 
that for this reason Christ came that he might save his people from their sins. So because leaven is a representation of sin and God wants to save the children of Israel on the night of the Passover and he wants to do it righteously and justly so they have to slay the animal, put the blood for the redemption but at the same time they have to deal with sin. So it was symbolic, a representation. So Paul now says here in verse 7, Put out there for the old leaven and that ye may be a new lump. Listen to this, Amos. He says, As ye are unleavened. Oh, right, yes. As ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice that sin and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So if I go to Asda, Tesco, you know, sins may say, I want to buy the bread of sincerity and truth. They will look at me. What? <laughs> bread? You see? But no, there is a sim, 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 you know, this is simile, there's something symbolic that's It's the new here. bread, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So, back to his original question. As children of God, how do we know we're God's children? We need to be obedient. Yeah. If the Bible says unleavened bread, we keep to unleavened bread. Same thing with um, the the alcohol he spoke, spoke about. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 26, it says the fruit of the vine. If you have somebody in church who had been struggling with alcoholism and, is, uh, and has been delivered, you know, and is thanking the Lord, and then he goes to church, and what do you do? You're serving him alcohol again in the church. What are you doing? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26, it says that the fruit of the vine, so the biblical thing to do when you're having the communion is to have the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. Now, back to the issue of salvation. Is it important to our salvation? The question, uh, the way I will answer that is this. The Bible is in the book of James. Whoever knows to do good and doesn't do it, it is sin. In the book of Acts, we're told that at the time of ignorance, God winked at. But now he calls every man everywhere to repent. So if people do it in ignorance, the Lord will forgive. But at the point we now understand the, the um, symbols, the reason, the essence for why it has to be on leavened bread and the fruit of the vine. And if we now deliberately go back and do what the Lord has revealed to us shouldn't be done, then it becomes sin. Having read Norman's question again, okay. because it's text and sometimes people okay. abbreviate, I'm reading it in a slightly different way. I think when I said it originally, okay. I put the emphasis on salvation. The way I think Norman is putting it is that our continuing salvation, as in working out our salvation in spirit and truth. So what he's basically saying, I think, so Norman, if I'm incorrect, please text me or give me a call because I want to get this right. But says, my name is Norman, and what I'd like to ask, how important is it to our salvation, so not for salvation, but to our salvation, to make sure our communion in our church is of unleavened bread and not normal? Okay. In just one sentence, I would say, Obedience is important. Yeah. Once we know the truth, that's so important. It's like when Christ told the, the woman, 
in John chapter, I think it was 8 also, he said, um, has anybody condemned thee? The guys that came and said you have committed adultery, has anyone condemned thee? He said, no, it's okay, I don't condemn thee, but go and sin no, no more. more. So once we have known the truth, God expects us to keep to the truth. If we deliberately do whatever we want to do after we've known the truth, then it becomes sin. Exactly. We've got another text in from Sarah, which we'll take in a second. Norman, thank you for your question. If we didn't answer it correctly, please give us a text or give us a call. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to call Sarah because okay. um, I have a f- funny feeling this might be the same Sarah who we know. If it isn't, then it would be great to speak to her anyway, regardless. Let me just, I've actually typed the wrong number. Let me just get this right. I'm trying to type it in without saying the number on air, which, believe it or not, is quite difficult because you just you automatically want to say things out loud as you type it. Right, Sarah, we're calling you. Thank you for your text. If you're still listening, your phone's about to ring. Please pick up your phone and clarify your question because your question basically is this. Can Pastor Samson explain the new nature as a result of Matthew 1, verse 22? Can Pastor Samson explain the new nature? Hello, is that Sarah? Hello. Sarah, good evening to you. Can I ask you to turn down your phone or your radio in the background? Just get a little bit of feedback. Just turn it down a little bit. Bless, bless you. Sarah, we took the opportunity to give, to give you a call because your question is quite specific. I want to make sure we got it right because sometimes when we text, we can sometimes get things wrong. But good evening to you. I hope you had a great Christmas and looking forward to the new year. Your question for Pastor Samson is in relation to Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Can he explain about the new nature? What do you mean by that in relation to that text? Um, Matthew 1, 22, um, thank you very much. I don't celebrate Christmas actually, but um, that's, that's in my scripture. But thank you very much. Um, 1, 22, um, and uh, he shall be for the son, that shall call his name Jesus, but he shall save the son of the king. Yes. Um, I just want to say, I can't believe this expands on how that, um, you know, um, the image of Christ will be seen. Okay. That's good. I'm glad, I'm glad I phoned you now because I would have taken a slightly different slant on that. So thank you for clarifying the question. Did you get that, Pastor? Yes, I did indeed. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, it's, it's so important that we have to get this right as a church. I talk about church worldwide now, wide. And that is, why did Christ actually come? Just Christ isn't the Father Christmas who just came to, you know, I will heal you, I will, you know, bless you, I will prosper you, you will be the head, you'll be the, you'll not be the tail, you get a cheap car, you know, you're going to be, you know, a millionaire, you're already a millionaire, you're going to be a billionaire. He didn't come for that. Christ came to deal with the situation that had plagued man right from the Garden of Eden. He came to destroy the power and dominion of sin in mankind. And that's exactly what the angel emphasizes right at the onset of his introduction, formal introduction of Jesus Christ to Joseph, the legal father. What is he going to do when he comes, Joseph? How would you know him? He will save his people from their sin. Now, sin has two major 
uh, consequences or two major ways of looking at it. Number one is the nature of sin in man, and two, the consequence of sin. Unfortunately, the church you know, has gone so far to just talk about the consequence of sin, for the wages of sin is death. So I believe in Christ and I believe in the Lord and I want Christ to save me. Why? So that I can be saved from the consequence of sin. So I can be saved from hell. So I can be saved from eternal damnation. Now, it's only a foolish person that will address the effect and not address the cause. The cause for sin is the nature of man. Man is born into sin and born as a sinner and thereby practices sin. And what Christ came to do is to save man from the bondage, the dominion of sin through the new nature. If any man be in Christ, I was sharing with somebody, I think it was two days ago, it's so important, in fact, I think it was on, on Monday at a, a home group. It's so important to remember that there's a difference between being in church and being in Christ. A difference between being in ministry and being in Christ. And God defines what it means to be in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. If any man, I like the word any, it doesn't matter whether we experience you know, our salvation in Pakistan or in a cave in, in Afghanistan or in a big church in America. If any man be in Christ, it says he's a new creature. And then God describes the new creature. It says all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that's what Christ was explaining again to the Jews in John chapter 8. He said, look, you people are not the children of Abraham because you don't have the nature you ought to have. And then Christ says, this is my ministry. If the Son therefore shall set you free, ye shall be free indeed from what? From the dominion and the nature of sin. In fact, we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. And let every man that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And one of the things we need to help the people in churches today is that when they say they are saved, ask the question, what are you saved from? Are you saved from the dominion and the tyranny of the old nature? And if that isn't the case, why not? That's what Christ came to do. Matthew 1, 21. He came to save his people from their sins. Let me just end with this. In um, 1 John, 1 John, I love what uh, John says here. First John chapter 2. I'll read maybe um, two verses from here. First John chapter 2. I'll read thus. It says in verse 6, He that saith he abided in him. That's the word again. That's the phrase. In him. In him. Maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll do a, you know, a series on in him. And we see how being in him is so different from being in a church and denomination, you know, and identifying with church, 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 church you know, churchianity without actually having the real thing. It says, he that said he abides in him 
ought himself also so to walk, even as Christ walked. And then in chapter 3, it says this in verse 5, let me read from verse 4, Whosoever committed sin transgressed also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. We're not saved in sin. We're saved from sin. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abides in him sineth not. It means that the, the tyranny of the sin nature is no longer dominant in that person. Not because the person is strong. No. Guess what? Ministry of Jesus Christ. He came to save his people, to liberate them. You see, the greatest bondage man can have is not being under an, you know, the Roman Empire or being under you know, a dictator. The greatest bondage a man can have is bondage to sin. That's what the, the Jews didn't understand when Christ was talking in John chapter 8. He, he said, you guys are in bondage. He said, no, 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 we have never been to bondage in, or to, being in bondage to any person. And Christ said, no, you are under bondage. And then he says, you are in, under bondage to sin and iniquity. And he said, if therefore the Son shall make you free. Once again, the ministry of Jesus Christ yes. to set the people free. God bless you, my dear sister. Sarah, does that answer, does that answer the question? So, sorry, does that answer your question? Hello? Okay. Bless you, Sarah. Good night to you. Okay. Thank you. Do you know, it, it's curious. I was just thinking, as you said that, that if we have a new nature, and we sometimes, in this modern Christian world that we live in, we dilute or we ignore established Christian terms like born again. And I was listening to Jack Hibbs a little while ago, and it was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek conversation when he was saying when he was a younger guy, he was heavily into bodybuilding and cars and motorbikes and stuff. And occasionally he would get phone calls from publications he was subscribed to saying, can I speak to Jack Hibbs, please? And he would say, sorry, he doesn't live here here anymore Amen. he's dead Amen. Amen. and that's the reality Amen. isn't it because that old life Amen. is gone Amen. You, you, we are a new creation yeah, you, yes, you better be careful what you say otherwise you're going to let me you know, speak for another two hours but <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like the word dead you said the pathway to life is death Yes. this is the problem people want the life of Christ without dying first mm. and that's where frustration comes in if we understand that we have to die first in order to have life, Christ said that except a corn of wheat falls to the ground, die, it's not going to bear fruit. No. But people want to bear fruit without dying, first of all. And that's the you know, that's you spot on. Unless we are dead first. And in fact, when we say born again, born again gives the presupposition that something has died already. That's the point, yeah, exactly. Born yeah. again. So yeah. it's died, but it's now born within you. And that's what the, they, they said, and that's what the Sanhedrin said. How can someone be born again? Yeah, outside his mother? Yes, they yes, couldn't understand the yes, concept. Yes. But the reality is, when you listen to the Lord, whether he's speaking parabolically or speaking literally, yes. He will always clarify. Will. If you're in any, he's not going to leave you thinking, "Oh, what did he mean by that?" There's no error. There's no confusion. Yes. We don't have a god of confusion. Yes. It's simple, black and white. It's Absolutely. the word of God. When we get the Bible. Yes. We are not getting the word of God. Absolutely. Just I words. Absolutely. We're getting the power of the gospel. We're getting the power of God, and we're getting God's thoughts, His emotion, everything all together. You said something earlier on, which I thought was very interesting, and you read it from the scripture. You said it's to all men. And when you go back through that lineage, that genealogy, yes. Matthew uses quite a few ladies yes. in that ancestry of the Lord. Yes. But he had a choice of choosing 
nice ladies, and I use the term in inverted commas, yes. or not so nice ladies. So yes. he, he used Tamar, yes. who had incest with Absalom, her brother. Absolutely. Rahab, yes. who was okay a harlot, but she helped out the spies. Yes. And you preached that quite recently about spies yes. and everything yes. else. Ruth, who wasn't even Jewish. Yes. And then you had Bathsheba, although she's not named Bathsheba, she's just named as the wife of Uriah yes. the Hittite. Yes. Matthew picked those four ladies yes. to show that everyone yes. has access Absolutely. to the Lord. Amen. Everyone has access to salvation. Amen. Everyone through Jesus Christ has access to God Amen. the Father. He Amen. could have used any of the other Amen. ladies, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, yeah, or even Absolutely. Leah. Absolutely. And that's what exactly what God wants to just, you know, you know, highlight there by moving Matthew to write that. Say, bring these people out, bring them out, bring them out. You know, one of the one of the things that uh, problems Christ had with the Pharisees is that they were saying, "Why are you eating with sinners? Why are you eating with publicans? Why are you, you know?" And if they read the lineage of of Jesus Christ, that in itself, you know, depending on where they're coming from, will be a stumbling block to them because. They're going to say, well, look at this woman, you know, look at what she did, rehab the harlot, you know. And God has a wonderful sense of humor. He does. Because while he talks about a man of faith and we should, you know, so we should exemplify the faith of Abraham and talks about Abraham in the book of um, uh, James, you know, James chapter 2, you need to have faith like Abraham had. Guess what? Right next to Abraham, God puts now rehab the harlot. Yes. As the other example. So, and... Even though Rehab had, had um, you know, had repented and she had come into the commonwealth of Israel, God still uses the word harlot to rub it in. I know her background before. I know she's, she's not only a harlot, but I use the word Rehab the harlot so that I know where she is. I know, I know her background. I know that she was, I know the kind of job and profession was, she was doing. But in the eyes of the Lord, everyone has equal opportunity to come to the Lord and receive salvation once there's sincerity and there's repentance. Do you know what's a wonderful thing? Is there's that 400-year period, that intertestamental period, from the end of the Old Testament to the first scriptures written in the New Testament. Now, Matthew wasn't the first book in the New Testament. It was one of the first, but it was assumed to be one of the first, so we put it in that order as being the first synoptic gospel. But in reality, it wasn't. It was probably written about 50 or 60 years, probably after the Lord had gone to be with the Father. But everything that Matthew writes, he personally witnessed. Everything he writes, it's his testimony to what he's seen and he did with the Lord because he was one of the Lord's disciples. But what I find is beautiful is it brings you straight back in that very opening verse, brings you straight back to Genesis 5. And it's the only two places in the Bible where I I know this exists. There may be others, so if if I'm wrong, please tell me. But it says this. I'm reading it from the NASB, but I'll have a look at the NIV or King James as well. It says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's including both the Davidic line and also the Abrahamic line. But if you read it in the other testament, it is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In the NIV, it more or less quotes it verse, word for word, in the similar vein to Genesis chapter 5. Let me just find it here in the NIV. It's the same in the King James. I did check earlier, but... um, Right, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. If we go to Genesis 5... This is the written account of Adam's line. So we know that the Lord is the last Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. 
and he goes on to give a bit of a um, a lineage as well. Adam lived for 130 years, etc. So we get the first of the genealogies, and basically it's using that term yes. again, that genealogy yes. of Jesus Christ the Messiah. So it's bringing us back not just to Adam, not just to Abraham, not just to David but bringing us back to God's plan in the opening gambit of the Bible when the Lord is describing the beginning of the nations yes. as the families start to spread, mm. the Lord was there in the beginning. Absolutely. He was there from before the beginning as we look at it in time or before time or pre-time or the way you want to look at it. Absolutely. So Matthew's bringing us straight back to yes. those historic Yes but still living, relevant. breathing, yes. relevant scriptures, yes. which the Jewish nation would see, because you said yourself tonight, they would have looked at Matthew and think, hold on a minute, you're a tax collector. Yes. You're the scum of the scum. Yes. You work for the Romans, you cream it off, yes. you charge us a bit extra, they turn a blind eye, you live in a nice posh house, yes. and you look down on us. Absolutely. Why should we listen to what you say? Absolutely. But the opening verse brings them straight back to what God says. So, so they're, now, they're, they're now in a fix. Now, yeah. you know, what do we do now? Even though we don't probably like to relate with the writer, but what the writer is saying is actually true. You see, and we cannot deny it. You see, this is exactly what this is what uh, Matthew is set out to do. He wants to show them this isn't a fable. Don't even take my own word for it. That's why he keeps on saying for over sixty times thereabout. He says it's fulfilled that it might be fulfilled that it might be fulfilled, and he links them back. Say, don't take my word for it. But he links it back to the Old Testament prophets. Mm -hmm. Look, this marries with this. This aligns with this. This harmonizes with this. Even his birth harmonizes with Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. So you can't really refute this, you know. And that's what they do over and over again. He does the same thing. We know we'll be doing chapter 2 uh, by God's grace next next month. But, you know, when you get to chapter 2 and Herod is wondering where is he going to be born, he, he calls the scribes and say, what does the scripture say? And... They, you see, this is where they, they, they have no excuse. Yes. Some people come to me and say, well, but maybe they didn't really know. I said, no, they were not truthful. They had every evidence. God is even more eager for them to be saved than they themselves want. But they were not sincere. Because when they were to find out or they want, you wanted to find out or confirm where the Messiah will be born, they knew where to go to. They went to the word of God. They went to the old prophets, Bethlehem, Judah. And they give Pilate, the, I mean, Herod, the answer. But now that they see all these other irrefutable evidences, they still do want to accept. See, this is the curious thing. And you, you put the suggestion earlier on, and I think it's so relevant that because of the temple, because of the Lord coming and going back to the Father and we're waiting for his second return, all those expectations that the Jewish rabbis had factored in to their new Jewish belief, this new modernized Jewish religion, which isn't traditional mm, Jewish mm, belief mm. whatsoever. It's not yes. biblical in many, many yes. respects. Yes. They've conjured up all sorts of concepts and oh. rabbis and have to reinvent what somebody else said last year because he's passed away, so we have to think of something else. But they now look at the lineage of a Jew as having come through the mother and their comical way of looking at this is you always know who your mother is but you'll never know who your father is if you've never seen it but you'll always know who your mother is so that's why we trace our lineage back through the mother and they quote certain scriptures but actually that concept is not scriptural at all the concept is back through the father and that's why joseph yes. even though he was the adopted father yes. of our lord yes 
And it's the reverse. It isn't Jesus is the adopted son. Joseph is the adopted father. And he's also the adopted father going back through to Solomon, where Mary was going back through Nathan. The whole idea is that our Lord, no matter which way you cut it, is the Savior. Yes. But our Savior is that person, whether you take that Jewish modernistic way of looking at it, that yes. the, the lifeline comes through the mother, yes. it still goes back through Mary. Absolutely. So as you said, the Lord has seen, had the foresight to look at all the argument Absolutely. and all the ways people will twist Scripture yes. to confound the wicked. And yes. it, in Deuteronomy 7.3, basically yes. they look at it and they say, well, there's scriptures that say that a woman shouldn't do this and a woman shouldn't do that. And yes. if you marry them, then you give your son or a daughter, they can take the son away. So that's what they're saying. Oh, that's one of the reasons why it's got to be from the mother. And then in Levitical law, they say the same sort of thing. And yes. in, in Ezra, yes. about foreign wives and all yes. that sort of stuff. Yes. But they deny the actual cultural setting that it's in and the reason that it's actually there. And then the other scriptures that make the whole relevance yes. of male lineage yes. to be established. So if you look at... Um, Joseph, yes. he married what? An Egyptian woman. Were his children, who were the forefathers of the Jewish race, were they excluded? No. no. So people do twist. Yes. Even in the most established longevity of religions, yes. like the Jewish nation yes. and their religion, they've twisted things Absolutely. because they have to continue twisting because they've denied it from the beginning. So Absolutely. they've got to conjure up new ideas Absolutely. to reconcile their Absolutely. error. Absolutely. And once uh, a people or a person uh, reads God's word uh, through the lenses of a preconceived idea or notion, then they will have to keep on denying what is actually very true in Scripture. You see, uh, I mean, another example is Joseph. Joseph, you know, married the you know the daughter of the priest in in Egypt. You see, but they're not going to make reference to that, no. and yet he was used mightily, you know, of the Lord. And God is deliberately doing this to make people realize that he is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. What really is important is genuine repentance, change of life, and acceptance of Christ as Lord and Savior. Because here we have the, some of the Jews refusing Christ, but at the same time we have quite a number of them in the same scripture that believed in Christ, someone like um, Nathaniel yes. that said you are the Christ right from the beginning of the book of John and said and uh, Peter and Andrew I think it was he said we have found the Messiah of whom the prophet spoke about mm -hmm. you see so right from the very beginning those who were sincere those who had an open heart to the truth they were, they were able to recognize and through the witness of the spirit accept and agree that Jesus Christ was and is the Messiah but you have like you rightly said a set of people who just do not want to agree, you know, and the truth is this, that, that their issue isn't really about Christ being the Messiah, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth being the Messiah. The real issue at stake is that they are not right with God. Mm -hmm. You see, people don't really understand this. They are not actually right with God himself. That's why when, even when Christ came and was relating with uh, these people, he said, look, you guys that are promoting Moses, 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 and you are claiming that Moses, um, you know, you are following Moses and I am not following Moses and that Jesus Christ is not following the Messiah, I mean, not following Moses, but actually, you guys do not believe in this Moses you're talking about. 
you see but that's what the Lord said yes. he said it's not that they don't believe me it's they don't believe Moses who absolutely. I sent absolutely absolutely and that's the same thing to the Jewish nation today absolutely. isn't it that's the reality that's the reality so it goes back to the carnality of man you know everyone whether we're Jews or we're Gentiles or you know we're we're all born with that carnality we're born with that you know um, antagonism against God and if you don't humbly come to the Lord repent and accept what the Lord has laid down. There's no, people will remain in their sins. And that's what he said in John chapter 9. And I just love the way Christ dealt with the Pharisees. He was just too much for them. I'm, I'm sure when they saw Christ on the cross, they, they would have been very happy at long last. This man gave us terror. You know, because the way Christ will have, you know, in John chapter 9, here we are, Christ heals the blind man. And then the man that was born blind. blind. And then um, the people... Ask him, how did you receive your sight? Oh, a man called Jesus, you know, healed me, you know. And they tried, they questioned and questioned him to try to poke holes, you That's know. That's right. Yeah. But the man still, he still and takes his stand. This is uh, this is how I got saved. And then it got to a point. The man said, "All right, do you guys want to believe on him too? You want to be one, you want to be one yeah. of his disciples?" They couldn't take that and said, "Look, we cast you out of the temple." And then Christ went to him. He said, "Okay, have you been cast out?" He said, yes. He said, Do you, would you believe in the Son of God? He said, yes, if I knew who he is. He said, I am he. And then he believed. And then Christ said something. He said, for this purpose I came to the world, that the blind may see, and those who see may be blind. Yeah. And then the Pharisees asked Christ, are you saying that we are blind? Christ said, if you are blind, you would have had no sin because it means you would have accepted that you needed sight exactly. from me. But because you say you have sight, you remain in your sin. And that's exactly what has, has happened to quite a number of people, including those who don't believe in the Lord. And that's a real tragedy because we can all get very big-headed Vanity is a terrible thing, and we look through Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, and we get all the various descriptions of that, and vanity itself yes. throughout the Bible is a big issue. But the Lord shows us that humility is his standard, and this is the Son of the Almighty God, the creator of the world, the guy that keeps the world spinning, that makes the winds blow, yes. that makes it hot or cold, that gives you sight, gives you every breath you have, yes. fills my stomach, keeps the walls of this house up, all the things we take for granted, yes. yet he had the humility to come down to our level Absolutely. and to suffer on a cross, the pains that you and I go through, yes. to wash his disciples' feet, that demonstration of humility. That's yet somehow, even when we are in positions of ministry, ego, fame, all that adulation takes over and we lose sight of where we were placed. And that's a terrible shame, it, it isn't is, it? It is indeed. And that's the reason why pride stinks before the Lord. Yeah. Pride is such a very, very abominable sin in the eyes of God. Because if God can condescend and become nothing, and we walked upon him, we spat, we slapped him, we kicked him, we molested him, we abused him, you know, um, some people give this impression as if if they were there when Christ was being crucified, they wouldn't have done the same thing. We would all have done. That, that is us being reflected when they rejected Christ and they asked for Barabbas. 
you see, a murderer. See, we'd rather have a murderer to come out and terrorize our community mm. again than to have the Holy One of God. You see, so we, we maltreated Christ, but what did Christ do? The Bible says that he opened not his mouth. God hates pride. Mm. And anyone who is a true pastor, you know, or a minister of God, you don't have to be a pastor, a true minister of God will also hate pride with, with a perfect hatred. It stinks. You see, and when you see people around, what have they achieved? And they begin to talk about themselves and brag and I've done this, I've done that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I and I and I. It stinks because if God who created, like you rightly said, the heavens and the earth and he condescended so low to take my mess and then to die a shameful death. And the people, you know what it means? You know, to, uh, I hope we won't have that experience mm. for one to be spat on, you know, they spat on him. They plucked off his beard from his cheek. And then we have somebody because he has me about maybe 10,000 people in his congregation whom is leading to hell anyway. And then he's having pride. Yes. It doesn't make sense. Is there any relevance, do you think, in the 14 weeks and the way Matthew describes it and the way he actually finishes off? Um, he talks about these 14 weeks and then he emphasizes for the third time the, the 14 weeks. Generations. Yeah. I know numerology is a, a dodgy subject because we can get into all sorts of situations. Yes. And, and we're warned as well not to get into. Yes. Silly disputes about endless genealogies. Yes. We need to discuss what the Bible is saying and we need to see its relevance and its importance in our life today and also establishing that timeline mm. and the historical chronological order of things. Yes. But it's just the fact that Matthew is emphasizing 14, 14 and 14. But when you add it up, he's had to include David twice to make that 14 and to round it up. Where when you go to the, the version in Luke, when Luke looks up in, in chapter 3, there's, there's 72. So we, we do realize that due to Jewish custom and everything else, some people are included who might have been adopted in or might have been um, brothers because, yes. or might have been the husbands of wives because their brothers had died, so they'd followed that tradition yes. and all the rest of it. So yes. we understand that. So there's no real difficulty there, yes. but it's just significance of 14 and the actual play out of 14. I've made a little notes here and um, we've got basically, we've got the 14 years from Abraham to David, then David to Joias, and then Joachim up to the Lord. David is obviously at the end of the first one and then leads into the second one. What is the relevance of the 14? Is there any numerical value that we should be looking at to consider, okay, that coincides with something else in the Bible. So let scripture interpret scripture and reinforce scripture. For me, I think that the, the real message for me there is that our God is a God of order. Mm -hmm. So important for me. That's, that's one of the things that I registers with me, that he's a God of order. And actually, it's, it's in many ways and in, you know, in various ways, is actually reflecting um, the sovereignty of God, as well as the fact that God is the one who orchestrates history. Mm -hmm. You see that everything that is happening and will ever happen is within the remit, ambit of God's own overall program for mankind. And where we have the 14, the 14, the 14, number one, like you rightly said, there is the, the Jewish tradition, you know. But secondly, it's, for me, it really means that we're having a God who is a God of order. 
we're talking about periods of devastation, desolation, periods of when they were taken captives, the periods of when the walls were burnt. And yet, when God summarizes it through Matthew, we see an order. Yes. 14, 14, 14. Mean that God is in absolute control. Nothing comes out of his remit, out of his control. He's in absolute There's no control. overspill and there's nothing Ab- left to be done. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. And that's the way I see uh, verse, verse 17 of Matthew. One of the, the, the people who's in, not included, and one of the arguments is the reason why there's that missing number, hence David is included yes. twice, is a pronouncer called Jehoiakim, who yes. was the puppet king when they went to Egypt. So he was appointed by the Egyptians as king. Yes. So because we understand that the whole anthology yes. of the Jewish kings going back to Saul, yes. they were all appointed by the Lord, good or bad, mm. they were all appointed by the Lord, but yes. this guy wasn't. Mm. So is that possibly one of the reasons why he wasn't included in that lineage? Because he wasn't, as far as the Lord is concerned, of that DNA, that lifeblood which the Lord had appointed. Okay, it goes back to what we have just said in terms of God still being in control. Mm-hmm. Now, the question actually is, Jehoiakim, was he um, a descendant of David? And if the answer is yes, it's still fulfillment of scripture mm. at the end of the day. That if he was appointed by somebody else from elsewhere, it wouldn't have happened if the almighty God who oversees and who overrules, if he hadn't allowed it to happen. God will always supersede and intervene where he sees something that isn't of his will coming to pass. But whether it's appointed, I mean, look, let's take Daniel for instance. Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're taken away from Jerusalem, they're taken into Babylon, and they were amongst the people that were chosen to stand before the king. Was that a coincidence, or did God himself allow it? A God instance, yeah. And God, in, you know, in his wisdom, he allowed it. Here we have Esther. You know, whose parents had died, and the uncle is Mordecai. And now the king wants, you know, after taking away the, the first queen, the queen wants another queen, you know, and they had so many, he had a range of options that he could choose from. And lo and behold, the only person he took right, was Esther. Was that a coincidence? Yeah. Or was that divine proving? It was God. Yeah. It's the same thing also with the king. So even though that king was appointed by an Egyptian, God still. But it, you know, overrules and allows those things to happen to still fulfill. But know? how would you then reconcile that then with the other situation we have with this curse, with the guy called Jehoiakim, who's called Conaniah or Jeconiah, yes. who was the evil king? So evil was he that the Lord said, "Yes, none of your well, children will ever, yes. ever sit so, on the throne." Yes. And that then, in theory, would then cancel out and even Joseph, yes, the Lord's yes, earthly yes, adopted father. Yes. But the Lord even managed to work a square around that yes. because he was grafted in. Yeah, absolutely. Joseph was grafted in. So even though Jack and I had the curse. Had the curse. Yes, yes. And that's that's one of the things. That this is where some of the people who talk about replacement theology, this is part of their excuse. That if that is the case and there was a curse, right, then, it, then we shouldn't really think about Christ coming back down on earth to rule on the throne of David because right now they say that Christ is already ruling and reigning 
on the right hand side of God and God had already placed a curse upon that king that nobody else would sit on the physical throne of David. Mm -hmm. that's, part of, that's part of their, uh, their argument. But back to the point, number one, it depends on how people interpret what God said to that king. And it could just be that from his own loins that the Lord was referring to, and not necessarily from his ancestral descendants, if that makes you know makes some, yeah. makes some sense. So people might take that word. It's like when Christ told, um, what's the name now? He told Peter that why are you asking about John? If I wish that John wouldn't die till I come back, what is that to you? You just mind your own business. Then the disciples themselves misinterpreted that and said it means that John will not die you know, until Christ comes again. You see, it's the same thing also in that case because that pronouncement was made to him. Some believe, well, how could we therefore have other descendants including Joseph, the father of um, the adopted father or the legal father of Jesus Christ? How can we have him now in the lineage since the Lord has said so? But it could just be that God was talking about his immediate siblings, that this and this will happen yes. and therefore you won't have anybody sitting on your throne because of your Do you know, it, it's an awesome thing whenever you sit down and you read a scripture, particularly these genealogies if we read it with an open mind to let the Holy Spirit expand that scripture yes. and let it build upon other scriptures that are there things start to fall into place Absolutely. which won't do if you just try and read it as a historical document That's or right. some sort of narrative you have to, particularly with these names and times and places yes. you have to really let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and to point you in the direction of other scriptures which are the corresponding scriptures Absolutely. to this because Absolutely. otherwise it can become quite a, a quagmire and you can really get lost Absolutely. one of the things that my pastor did a few weeks ago and, and it was brilliant, it really was awesome I'm not giving him all the glory because I'm <laughs> sure he's, he's picked the idea from somewhere else but the way it was explained was this it was the timeline so basically he showed that time from Abraham and the, the age which the Lord had given to Abraham and then his sons when they were born and then through to Joseph, the great-grandson. Abraham was still alive when Adam was on the earth. Abraham was on, on the earth when his sons and Jacob and all those things happened. So they were speaking to each other. They were telling each other the stories over the Pharisite dinner in the evening time. They would have been aware. There would have been people there who would have been, because of Adam, Adam's son, Seth, they would have been there after the flood. They would have been there with all those situations. So the scripture isn't just a collection of written stories. This is a collection of events that actually happened and people can go back with honesty and come and say that's happened mm. now i come from a legal background and evidence is something which weighs very heavily on any adjudication mm. but the witness evidence is yes. the strongest evidence ever documentary evidence is supplementary mm. to real-time personal yes. accountability yes. forensic evidence reinforces what a witness said yes. or saw yes. but it's what someone saw yes. or heard yes. or actually took part in is the real evidence yes. and Matthew was with the Lord the Lord picked him up along with Andrew James and John and Peter as he walked along that shoreline and he was with them yes so when you know that he was actually putting down the situations and the things that happened which he saw yes. he witnessed you know that it's accurate 
that genealogy he's talking about, he wouldn't have just sat down one thing, well, let me try and work this out, let me say, okay, so-and-so. Those things would have been established. And bearing in mind also, if you've got something, also bearing in mind that, as the Bible tells in the book of Peter, the holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And we do know from experience that there are quite a number of things that the writers themselves wrote that they didn't fully understand what they they were actually writing because they were not writing academically. They were not writing in the way they were writing as the Lord led them to write. Um, One of the things I tell people about interpretation of scripture is that when you see a seemingly inconsistent thing in the Bible, look at the consistencies and then the consistencies will help to explain the seemingly inconsistent scripture that you've come across. Now, um, I'm probably I'm going to be, but maybe I'm going to be in trouble with your pastor now. But you know, I I, I like what were some of the things you said he said. But also, we need to bear in mind that as at the time t- time that Abraham was on earth, Adam had actually died, because. From the time I, I may have got that wrong, but okay. just using a, a, a symbology. I may have okay. got the actual details okay. wrong. My apologies. Okay. So I don't want to get him in okay. trouble. But yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it takes us back to the okay. The main point I want to bring out, however, however, is that the writers wrote as the Holy Spirit led them to write, and God Almighty had a reason for the things He has put in the Scripture. One, like you rightly said, is that we look at the the consistency of Scripture. And scripture will explain itself. Mm-hmm. What is the reason? Why is it so? His, use, his using of Matthew is so important because Matthew, like you said, is a witness. Mm-hmm. And that's why many a times even Christ uses the word witness, you know, for his disciples. And when Judas Bishop Prick was taken away and he needed a replacement, we're told that one of the criteria that they had was that it has to be someone who has been with them and was in the ministry of Christ, right from the time of his baptism yes. to the time of his ascension. Why? Because they need a weakness, a weakness. In fact, John many at times in his um, epistles, first, second, and third epistle of John, as well as the gospel of John, he uses the word record, record. With another word saying weakness. This is the record. This is the record. This is the reason why. So the issue of weakness, weakness is so important. So the people know exactly what they are saying. And I think another way of putting it is what John says in First John chapter 1 and in verse 1. First John chapter 1 verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Mm. So what is John trying to establish? I am a credible witness. As we would say now, I've I've seen the movie and I've worn the t shirt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Mm. So that's the same thing that Matthew does, as like he rightly said. He is a witness, he was there, he followed the Lord Jesus Christ, and for that reason, you know, he has the you know, every right to be able to tell us the story of Jesus Christ from the angle of his kingship. So who do you think Matthew was writing? Was he writing exclusively to the Jewish people at that time, or was it anybody and everybody? Uh, we have the inner circle and the outer circle. What do you mean by that? Then? Okay, The inner circle is primarily was for the Jews. Right. But the application is still for everybody. 
if that makes some sense. Yeah. So it's really for the Jews because he wants to, that's why he uses language that they understand, he uses terms that they understand, he makes reference to about 60 you know, prophecies of the Old Testament in the book of Matthew because he wants to get them. That, that's why you get some phrases you won't find in other gospel, like when Christ said, Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go to the yes. Samaritan. Don't go to the Gentiles. You don't find that statement in Mark, in Luke, or in John. So he deliberately brings in the uniqueness of the Jewish tradition, Jewish belief, Jewish customs into the book of Matthew. Why? Because God wants not just Gentiles, he wants Jews to be saved. And, and Paul said, I became all things that I might by all means win some. So what God is trying to do here is that he uses Matthew to appeal to the Jews. They understand, they can recognize, they can, they can, um, you know, they can relate with it. And then he uses the book of Luke. That's why Luke traces Jesus Christ back to Adam, yeah. that for every man, you know. So he uses the book of Luke to reach out to the Gentiles and say, look, the gospel we know is first for the Jews, but also there's an international scope of the gospel. And he uses Luke. So Matthew, therefore, writes, you know, the inner circle is to the Jews to understand that he is the Messiah, but he still has the wider application like, you know, most of the Bible does have. That's great. Thank you. If we look at Matthew and we look at it's the gospel according to, which is an addition mm. that was never originally in the, in, in the original scriptures, there are many things in the Bible which, because of translations and different companies who print things, they add to the Bible. And sometimes they do take away, depending on, on translations and interpretations, shall we say. The important thing to me, particularly at this point, one chapter as we now lead into the second chapter as we build build upon this is that this chapter starts off going back to those original chapters in Genesis that whole lifeline showing the Lord's lineage all the way back to the beginning of the generation yes. that his genealogy yes. of Jesus the Messiah yes. the King of the Jews the son of David the son of Abraham and then it goes on and explains, obviously, that, that lifeline. Yes. But when we get to that part of the Lord's birth, I just love the way Matthew, just as you said, he lifts all his responsibility and all the things that he's doing, and he lays it at the feet of the prophets. In verse 22, having yes. just described about Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins, yes. now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Yes. And that is, as we say today, thus saith the Lord. Yes. That is it. Yes, because we know that you can't argue against that. Yes. This is what the Lord has said. It's in the scriptures. And yes. it wasn't a case of they would say it was in Deuteronomy this or it was in Jeremiah that. They would have known where the scripture uh, was absolutely. because they were bred on the scriptures. Absolutely. The narrative was there continually re-read to them. They would have known exactly where it was. So the yes. scribes, the Pharisees, who were pretending not to understand the Lord, the Lord just mocked them. And, I, I and they didn't even realize how foolish they were, mm. not just in their own eyes, yes. but the eyes of the average person on the street, because they also yes. would have understood Absolutely. these scriptures. Absolutely. You know? Quite a couple of things in, in what you've just said. I think, first of all, is the fact that this in itself is a challenge to present-day ministers. If the truth is not going to save them, nothing will save them. If the word is not going to save them, that's exactly what Matthew does here. 
He's not trying to embellish the message. He's just saying, look, this is according to the, the word of the Lord. Yeah. You know, and if you're not going to be saved on simple, plain truth, then nothing else is going to save. We, we know many a times today we have people who just want to try to get the people happy, you know, bring in some other things. Some don't even bother to teach the Bible and really read the Bible and dig down into the Word of God. And they're doing their, you know, their, their members a, a very, very, uh, you know, a, a disservice to them. Yes, very much. But, but what does uh, Matthew do here? He says that it might be fulfilled. So he's actually challenging them. Go back and read the scriptures. Mm -hmm. That's what Christ said in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, such the scriptures and they are they that speak of me. You see, you search the scriptures, they are about me, they are about Christ, mm -hmm. they are about me. So what Matthew does right from the beginning, from the onset, he say, don't take my word for it, this is according to scripture. This is according to scripture. And when we get to chapter two, we're gonna see more and more of it, whereby Matthew keeps on saying, what I've told you right now, what I'm a witness to right now, it harmonizes with the Old Testament that you are familiar with. If you read the Old Testament, if you look at the old prophets and you have a sincere heart and you're willing to hear from the from the Lord, you will see that what I'm telling you is not strange. See, this is a sad reflection on the world we live today, and you hit it squarely on the head. There is a large proportion of the church today. Look at Old Testament means old covenant. New Testament, new covenant. And the old stuff, that's the way it used to be. That was for the Jews. They still do their own thing. Yeah. That's for them. But today we're on the love thing. You know, just the love thing. Jesus loves you. Big hugs yeah. and kisses. Everything's <laughs> going to be fine. You just have to believe that he's there somewhere. Yes, yes. However you imagine him, yeah, he's there. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's all you need, yeah. you know. But you started off this evening on your preamble yes. before you started to speak on the actual scripture itself. And you spoke about the Bereans in Acts 17. Yes. They tested everything by the scriptures yes. to see if it was so. That wasn't Berean pastors, mm. that wasn't Berean academics, that wasn't teachers of the law, that mm. wasn't theologians, that was a group of people. Yes. That responsibility, as far as I'm concerned, rests with each individual. And the days are gone now, I think, yes. with overhead projection and everything else, where people would bring their Bibles into church. Yes. And when a pastor would say something, they would go, which verse in the Bible is this man got? He's left all this out, you know. Yes. And I could show you situations <laughs> where I, I know people who've been on video on television yes. where they've actually cut and pasted one scripture into another scripture to reinforce their message. Just taking scriptures totally out of context and all relevance yes. just to emphasize their point or using obscure Absolutely. translations, Absolutely. which you can never find because you yes. haven't got one of those Bibles uh, or whatever. Yes. yes. What I'm really trying to say is, do you agree that the responsibility, the working out of our salvation, fear and trembling, is an individual responsibility? We can't lay it all at the foot of our pastor. Yeah, absolutely. I totally, 100% agree. Because even the pastor, at the end of the day, we can only really, truly give account of himself. And, and I see that in the way that the pastor can labor, he can pray, he can fast, he can do everything he wants to do for the members. But at the end of the day, those members have their own individual responsibility before the Lord. Mm. This is, you know, you, you've brought me to a point where, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, my wife normally says I'm melancholic, but <laughs> I'm not going to say, you know, too much. I don't get into trouble. But you're going to, you, you brought me to a point where I, I'm going to be a little bit sober here when I, when I talk about Moses. Moses labored for 120 years. Um, 
and then he, he was about to die. And God said, Moses, I know you're about to die, but I want you to write a song as a witness against the people because of what they're going to do yeah. after you're dead. They're going to go back, they're going to go to their idols, and as a result, I'm going to cast them out. Now, let's th look at it from the perspective of Moses. He has labored. He has suffered. He was in the wilderness for 40 years because of their own disobedience. They wanted to stone him. He stood and all that he did. And God says, this is what's going to happen. Now, the point I'm bringing out is this. At the end of the day, Moses gets to glory. God receives him wonderfully and even appears on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yes. But the people he labored for, many of them died and perished because of their sins. It's the same thing also in the church today. If we as pastors do not teach the people that they have to read the word, we give them a loving nudge. We, 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 we by example, by our presentation, by our teaching and our emphasis, we're telling them that you need to read the word yourself. It's like what we do in the church, amongst other things. We have what we call the Bible reading now. So we have seven different chapters we, we're going to read every day personally. For everyone will read that at home and then we come together on Sunday and we have what we call family admonition. What the Lord speak to you right. when you read this, you know, chapter 80. To encourage the people to read the word of God for themselves. Mm -hmm. What many people are doing today, they're coming to church to be fed. And, you know, a pastor preaches whatever he wants to preach. Nobody's going to check up, you know, uh, whether what he's saying is true. And they, they all go back home. Oh, we had a wonderful service. But have you checked the scriptures? Have you searched the scriptures? Would are those things be so? So back to your question. Yes, people have, they're going to be individually responsible. And you need to read the word. Because when I stand before the Lord, or you stand before the Lord, nobody's going to say, well, I, let me bring my pastor along. This is what my pastor, <laughs> this is what my pastor told me. Yeah. No, everybody's going to give account of himself to God. Yeah. So, And this is why the early church was strong. They searched the scripture. They read the word of God. Should we accept the, the Gentiles into the fellowship? How can we do this? We've never heard about this before. But when they had the council in Acts chapter 15, what formed the basis of the decision was the word of God. They went back to the word and said, oh, actually, this thing that is happening right now, and God, you know, almost I'm twisting Peter to go to Cornelius, actually is according to scripture. God had already said, according to this chapter, according to this book, by this prophet, that the Gentiles will be grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. So, Peter hasn't done anything wrong. Let's go ahead. So, let's give Paul uh, our right hand of fellowship. What he's doing is right. But the question is, what informed their final decision? They went back to the word. Yeah. And they re they reasoned together, as it says in Isaiah 1 I think yes. it is. Yes. And that's an important thing, that sometimes we neglect the fellowship of our peers and our seniors and those people who have been Christians long-standing yes. because we've heard some new trendy way of getting the message out or some new label of doing this and we don't do shirts that way anymore. We, and Should those things are hip and trendy, that's yeah. fine. That's one thing the Bible isn't. Mm. You know, Jesus may have wore sandals, mm. but he didn't have a surfboard, you know. And at the end of the day, the gospel is what it is. You either accept it or you deny it. Absolutely. But you can't, having read it, be not affected by it. Absolutely. So you either encourage the salvation and become saved 
or you're discouraged yes. from it. But one of the two will happen. Yes. Very There's true. no halfway house. Very true. So those people who are, I, I call them bus station Christians, who are sitting there waiting for the bus to come along to take them and do everything for them, yes. you know, and they're lifted up almost like they're in hospital, yes. you know. Yes. The reality is you are accountable. It's your sin. Jesus is your saviour. He's paid the price. Yes. Now pick up your bed and yeah, walk. Absolutely. And that's the reality, isn't uh, it? Absolutely. It is. It is. And once again, we, we as ministers, uh, and I speak to my pastor colleagues, if they're listening right now, it's so important for us that we do what the early disciples did and the apostles and our forefathers did. We need to lead the people to study the word of God. There's no other way to grow. There's no other way to have strength. There's no other way to have, you know, power in the inner man. There's no other way to defeat the devil if the people are not studying the word of God. And actually, it's even beneficial for the pastor because when you have a group of well-groomed brethren who understand the word, who are listening to the word, who are studying the word, and they have grown in the word, you'll find them that there'll be a blessing, you know, to, 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 to you. So it's so important for us to do what Christ did. The Bible says that Christ went about teaching, preaching. Many people don't know that Christ did more teaching and preaching than healing. Absolutely. He went about yeah. teaching and preaching. After he rose from the dead and he was to ascend, he told his disciples, go ye into all the world and teach again teach again you know and Paul the Apostle said the same thing when he had the meeting with the um, elders who came from Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 he said look I'm going away now this is my charge to you feed the flock of God give them the teaching of the Word of God when uh, Jesus Christ was with Peter during the you know in John chapter 21 with the disciples he says Peter do you love me more than these he said yes he said okay if you do feed my sheep. So the teaching of the word of God is indispensable. And guess what? When Christ rose from the dead, he had a 40-day sandwich course with his disciples again. What was he doing? Teaching them concerning the things of the kingdom, the word of God. When he met the two, you know, two disciples on the way to Emmaus, what did Christ do? He expounded the scriptures concerning himself from Moses. So we're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you know, and he was just expounding through Moses and the Psalms and the prophets the things concerning him. And this is the, this is the reason why the early church was strong and were able to stand because they had been groomed in the word and they had been taught to study the word of God, which is actually ironical. Because in the days that we live in now, we have the iPad, we have the organized Bible, you have um, so many uh, materials, and guess what? We still lack knowledge of the Word when it comes to uh, the things of God in the church that we live in today. But that's the thing, is everything's side by it, everything's easy, yes. everything's just put a little bit of money in yes. and you get 30 seconds of the Gospel, yes. that's all you need. Yes have a cup of coffee yes. and a nice little nibble afterwards. Yep, yep. It's not that way. No? It's not have a substantial meal, then a little bit of gospel afterwards, yes. isn't it? It's, yeah, it's yeah. the reverse. We have almost done time. We've okay. almost finished for this evening. Yes. And I, I do thank you for opening up what's going to be a great series going through Matthew and then Matthew into Luke. We're back again on Thursday, the 28th of January, 2016. It's only a few days away. <laughs> but it's the last Thursday of every month, folks. 
And I promise, come hell or high water, if the Lord's on our side, which I know he is, we won't have any problems with the internet dropping out this time. The devil's had his day. He's injured, yeah, and he's fighting and he's vicious and he's dangerous. So don't ever discount the devil who's going to interfere with everything which God has set in plan and in motion. But God is a God who has won the day. Amen. So our God is a great, great God. Amen. And don't underestimate the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to bless you and thank you thank for you your much. time tonight. You're welcome. Is there anything you just want to say in conclusion, just before um, we go? Well, in conclusion, I just want to, once again, uh, I know this is going to be played a couple of times. Please, listeners, let's let's do this together. Make it, you know, like a New Year resolution. Get people around every last Thursday of the month. We'll be having at least two hours together. Let's just study the word together. Um, some of the things you're going to be getting from this uh, radio station, and particularly in this program that we have put together, are things that you wouldn't get, you know, elsewhere unless you go to the Bible school. But the Lord says, freely we have received, freely, freely we're going give. to give. Absolutely. So, you know, you encourage us by taking part, be engaged, get your Bible, get your notebooks, get something to write with, invite people around your house, tune in, and um, by the grace of God, you'll be blessed. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Pastor. Thank you very much indeed.